Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Min Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Evening. And Jeff. Yellow. We can't actually know if it's evening when they're listening, Duncan. That's why I prefer uh, non-time-related hellos. But anyway, smaller cast, although there might be some vermin lurking around later, depending on what we talk about. Uh, but for now, we are talking about what we've been watching uh, it's been a, a pretty big interval since we've had a couple of in-betweens where we've talked more about focus stuff, but I'm all caught up on my shows this this season, which is a which is a rarity mid-season. Um, Chihafru 3 is still good. Like, it's good. It's good, and it kind of you have to be their way. Hmm. Um, After School Dice Club slash Hokago Saikoro Club is... I don't know. They're trying to have a story, but... They it's mostly just board game tutorials made into anime, which is someone's jam. So it's very much remained the same thing it has been all along. It hasn't evolved yeah. in any way. They're meeting people and like getting them into games, but it's very weird that like a couple people get to become like repeat customers. They meet this this German girl Amelia who um, had to move to Japan, and she's very sad that the Japanese aren't into board games like the Germans are. Which this. <laughs> This show has has like it must be really weird to watch the show as a German or a board gamer or both because yeah they have a very fanciful like idea of like Germans just are always playing board games constantly and they know all the new games which maybe I mean, a larger percentage than in Japan but I mean when I was introduced to Carcassonne it was by a very enthusiastic German guy so <laughs> <laughs> that tracks yeah. for me although they did play a game called Elfenland that I've never heard of and is like kind of like a it's basically kind of a a bid and a trick a trick making game, but it's done where you're like traveling all over this fantasy map. And I was like, oh, that looks really nice, even though it's it seems very like crunchy German. You have to like declare that a path can only be used by this type of mount, and you have to have enough cards in your hand of that mount to traverse that path. And whoever goes to the most cities collecting their collecting like these tokens wins. I don't know. It looked very nice. It's still like a game where. I don't know. The biggest thing they've had for plots, they wanted to have a, a a board game cafe for the culture festival. And one of the student council members who they beat in a game back in like episode four is mad at them and tried to like <laughs> screw them over. But they like posted a picture of them in made outfits on Instagram. And so they got really popular. And that's <laughs> and it. That's made, the plot. Made outfits <laughs> is the answer to everything, apparently. Uh, I will say that is very funny because everyone's smiling except for like the serious uh, class rep girl who it just like looks like tired and sad. Like she's about to say like, hey, let's not do this. And that that's like <laughs> the one visual joke in that episode. And it made me laugh at least because... I don't know. Usually the whole, like, you know, perky, ganky, yeah, let's make everyone love board games by any means possible. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that they undermined that a little bit, but overall it's just kind of whatever. I'm going to keep watching it, but it is definitely the Takunomi or the Osake Wafufu of board games. So, yeah. But beyond that, the other things I've caught up with are Vinland Saga, <laughs> my, my perennial favorite thing to complain about. And the second season of High Score Girl, which is not yet on Netflix, but it's out there. So, so I've been watching that. Yeah, yeah. Find it legally. That's definitely what I did. Yep. But uh, I was thinking with both of these, because I was talking with Duncan before the podcast about how we finally get 
Thorkell's like backstory and his motivations and instantly made him a more interesting character than anyone else in the show for me because he actually has like things he wants and regrets and just to put him in contrast with Ashkelad who the the mid-teens where his arc plays out I think are terribly executed and generally like his idea of someone in over his head um, slowly losing control of the situation is not conveyed at all it honestly feels like his his spoilers obviously his his troops revolt against him just on a whim and then are completely like spanked and proven wrong to revolt against him and i think that this is something especially where the manga probably handled like the fact that ashglad is making you know making a bad bet after a bad bet and circling the drain without realizing it and so to compare that kind of botched poorly paced understated character arc with uh with Thorkell's who honestly has apparently been carrying this kind of psychic burden ever since Thor's left the Yams Vikings, which Thorkell's thought that was, you know, the greatest life in the world. Why would you ever leave it? And so to have someone leave it because he knows what being a true warrior is has like a, affected him, and that's why he's this this jolly motherfucker who's just cruising from battle to battle trying to find someone to fight. I don't know. And just having him reveal that he's like fifty and He's also worried about running out of time in the same way as Ashkelad is, but the fact that Ashkelad already had that sort of thing where, like, I can't wait forever for the perfect king to show up, so I've got to make one now. Uh, that set up Thorkell's same thing of, like, getting old, and eventually you're going to be too old to fight, and then what are you going to do? So I really enjoyed that, and I wish that the show was more about him. And from what I know of Thorkell the Tall's life in reality i'm making big scare quotes because <laughs> we know it mostly from the from the heimskringa and the the icelandic eddas which are myth history myth history more than anything um i can't call it like actually what happened <laughs> not that history <laughs> no, ever knows exactly what happened but i know that he's going to be he's going to apparently stick around and become like part of the team of i hesitate to call them friends because Thorfinn is still like the grumpy, withdrawn emo boy that he has been for the entire show, save the first two episodes. Um, but yeah, I just wish I'm, I wish that I wish that we started here and we could just have this like more complex Thorkel's Thorkel as a as a character, as a stock character, as rather than as an antagonist for the first half of the anime. So I don't know if you have anything to re react to that about Duncan, but. Yeah. I mean, I th I think the Askeladd, his arc doesn't translate well to animation, or at least it hasn't in this particular case. It doesn't mean it wouldn't necessarily, but the way they've handled it and the way they've paced the episodes has, as you said, made this... Instead of it being like you, you're getting a sense of the the mood changing in, within his uh, band through sort of the dialogue and just like the just these events just slowly piling up and just little little thing after little thing going wrong and him being just subtly undermined. It's just like, oh well, Thorkell's found us now. Guess he's throwing javelins through six people. Oh well. <laughs> um, I think some people like uh, like the one that there's been a, a minor controversy around one bit of Inland Saga where the, one of the animators went on Twitter and apologised for the animation of Thorn Thorkel in a particular battle scene. Yeah, Not, the episode director did, I think. Yeah, 
I'll double check on that. But it's it's a it's a prominent member of staff going on and saying, okay, we didn't present this character in a way which does him justice. And like the particular shot they were referencing was this hyper stylized demon Thorkell's head looming over a traumatized Viking, and and in the manga that. You're, you're, it's a hundred percent clear that, that that this is meant to represent uh, an, an emotion. It's not something you necessarily have to literally depict exactly like that. It's just this looming, unre- unreasoning uh, individual, and like, and you can, and I would argue they probably did do that without needing to have that exact image on screen, but. I feel like the places where Villain Sag has most stumbled have been the ones where they've tried to match certain beats of the manga, uh, like scene for scene, but not kept the actual um, tempo of what comes before it. So you just have this sudden moment which is supposed to have impact, but it hasn't actually been built up to properly. And I think that's sadly what's happened with most of Askeladd's stories. Like, to me, like, the entire middle arc of this season, which was handled... The the best episode was the one from the perspective of one of the villagers, which kind of was a episode which was almost self-contained as opposed to part of the the whole. And so when they didn't try and match something note for note and just tried to tell this story within as best they could using the mood and... uh, the landscape and the what can be well written that like what do you feel about about the dialogue is it 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 just like can you give me an example of what you're of what you're thinking of i can't remember the, the girl's name in the episode like she gets some quite i wouldn't say profound dialogue but quite thoughtful dialogue and when she, when it comes from her in this 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 when she's like staring at the the ring she's stolen and sort of pondering morality like that works quite well but when it's um Askelad or sort of, of, of or thorfinn wondering or oh, what is is what is right right in in life i i kind of shy away with it like i i probably don't like what they do with Thorkel as much because it's like I don't feel like he really gets across his feelings that that well I suppose he's not supposed to be that great at getting across his feelings he's yeah I mean that's why that's why I like the flashback in that sense because we have this character who is who is fundamentally a child mentally like I don't know if that's their intention but mm-hmm. Thorkel's is like mentally eight years old it's there's no way two ways around it um, yeah, he's presented and, like a, a fist of the North Star villain, basically. Yeah, um, and you know, where like he doesn't he doesn't really like understand the connection between like his own body and his own health, and he is mostly just happy to see people because he knows he had a good time when last he saw them, regardless of whether or not they intend him harm. Very much like a child, and so I enjoyed the flashbacks to kind of deepen what he'd already said and what we already knew that he cared about. Um, but you're right, Duncan, that that writing is only occasionally present. And I, I wish, I don't wish, I it would be interesting 
<laughs> to know uh, how much of that is adapting from the manga versus trying to capture the spirit. Because I think that when when Vinland Saga tries to capture the spirit of what's going on in the panels rather than what's honestly the fool's errand of trying to recreate exact panels shot for shot, which is what a lot of the fans of this of, of the manga and the show seem to expect. It was the director himself who apologized, mm. I, right. I I found, yeah. Um, but apparently, like, Vinland Saga fans are very, very critical. Like, they got mad that, uh, that the manga artist drew Denmark too hilly. Um, uh, it's, it's a, it's a particularly, particularly flat country. Um, and so like him making it so mountainous, uh, a bunch of people were mad that it wasn't accurate there. And so I think there is a bit of, oh dear God, do we, do we actually have like the Crusader Kings community, but for anime, <laughs> I think anything with the middle ages draws these kind of people who, who have this like instinctual apprehension of how the past should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the language barriers of antiquity keep people out to some extent uh but the middle ages there is enough of a sense of cultural linguistic ethnic political continuity that you get people who are very invested about depict my history right mm. uh to an extent that i think is unhelpful and kind of like infantilizing and restrictive to some extent and it stinks to see the good parts of Vinland Saga sometimes choked out by by this weird obsession. Like I thought, the panel in the manga of Thorkell's looming over what's his face. He's like Rodan or Hrothgar or yeah. something. Um, one of, the leader of the mutiny. Like it's a cool panel. It would have looked dumb if they if they translated it perfectly to it screen. Because um, he looks like he's like a demon made of like smoke and fire billowing out of the ground, and you can't do that especially with with their system but there are especially in the fight scenes and some of the some of the more intimate moments like i think that they're getting on top of their animation style and occasionally there are good lines to accompany with that i think there's a sort of a, a spare austerity when um when ashkelad's explaining to thorfinn like the ebb and flow of history and comparing it to how like someday i'll be old and you'll mm. kill me and then you'll and then you'll be on top and then you'll get old. Like that was a that was a great scene, and I imagine some of that's taken from the manga. Yeah. Probably not word yeah. for word because yeah. the manga seems a lot more interior than than the anime can be. How do you feel about the transformation of um, Knut from joke character to ooh, now? Now we have the real one. I I feel bad for saying this, but it was fine. Okay, like it was it was more exciting once the other characters started reacting to it because. It's the interior anime character pep talk that, like, every coward character gets at some point in, in, in a manga or anime with a lot of fighting. But, but like, Ashkelad being like, wait for it. This is going to be good. And then there's a payoff and everyone reacts to it. And that's that's the kind of character writing I want. I do not want, like, I'm sick to death of Thorfinn crying about his dead dad hmm. about <laughs> about a... Uh, I don't want him as the main character. That's the that's the upshot. Yeah. Literally anyone else, Canute, Ashkelot, even with how they've messed up Ashkelot's character and made him seem a lot like he just picks up the stupid ball every so often and just makes a bunch of bad calls yeah. despite being the clever character. I don't want Thorfinn's... I don't care about Thorfinn's story. Yeah. It's dumb. I it doesn't have a point. I think one of the things with um, Ashkelot's 
had, with his narrative here, I think, although it's a long time since I read it, but I think uh, they revealed his his history, the fact that he's the he is he's the son of the uh, of a Welsh chieftain's daughter and a uh, who was kidnapped by a a Dane and like was his consort for a while and then thrown away when she got ill and. And like his resent, he hates he hates all the Danes, and like that's his mm-hmm. like his his big reveal. And we and we sort of don't get that until he's, it's already very evident that he doesn't yeah. <laughs> like the Danes. And it's like I'm fairly certain we get that earlier, and so we sort of know his resentment for other people do. And so this. His actions don't. He, it doesn't suddenly, as, as I think you put it, look, look like he got hit with the this, this stupid stick and start making all these mistakes uh, for no reason. It's because he's started to to become thoughtful and he started to think out of revenge rather than out of uh, what's sort of like coldly rational. And yeah, that's what that's well put. I will say though, speaking of Ashkelad's Welsh heritage, his uh, his iron queer ass. This is something that never happens in any <laughs> medium. He got hit in the armor, and the armor blocked it, but he was still hurt by the shock. That is something that happens all the time. Like getting bruises through armor is much more common than the sword piercing armor. Um, and it was just, I was just, I almost let a little cheer when someone hit him in the back and the armor blocked it. And he's still like, oh, because it was, someone hit him in the back with a big yeah. metal stick. Um, and then, of course, the undo it, like, two minutes later when he splits a guy down through a conical uh, skull cap and mm-hmm. everyone's scared for a while. And then they just shoot him with arrows because that's apparently, like, the thing that no one can do anything about in Vinland Saga is getting shot with an arrow. I saw, um... One uh, take on uh, the Thorfinn Thorkell fight, which said that both the way Thorkell was dealt with and just like the the general setting made it have David and Goliath overtones, which obviously huge bloke versus small bloke who yeah. knocks out <laughs> big bloke by hitting him in his weak spot. Now, that, that, yeah, that 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 has. Um, some overtones, but like, I don't think uh, Goliath then teamed up with David afterwards. So I don't <laughs> uh, think that's really. No, that doesn't. That doesn't. That kind of ruins the actual David and Goliath message of like faith in the Lord is all, and he can make you do great things. Because one defining thing about Thorfinn is that he has no faith in anything, mm. um, and largely is just hanging around because. He wants to get the chance to kill Ashkelad and is willing to kill a lot of people to stop them from killing Ashkelad so he can kill Ashkelad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the fight. I thought that the fight was some of their, their best animation. Um, even when super dumb stuff happened, like uh, Thorkel's kicking him above <laughs> yeah. the treetops and then he like it. hits a tree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was funny, but like I... I this is something that shouldn't bother me, but it does. Like I don't know the bounds of reality, <laughs> especially vis-a-vis like fighting in this anime. I don't know if like Thorkel is supposed to be really stylized or if he's or if he's just really that big and that ridiculous where he fights using a tree trunk and st- I don't yeah. like I, I think it's it's like you say what what that character 
that basically if you're not a named character you you adhere to relatively normal rules of, <laughs> of warfare but as soon as you mm. become as as you put it part of mi- mystery uh then uh, then you are allowed to just do whatever your legend says about you um, yeah yeah it's like uh, dynasty warriors yeah but it, it just it means that i don't this is this is the dumbest thing for me to complain about, but hey, we're here talking mm-hmm. about Vinland Saga for like the fifth time. <laughs> uh, but like, it makes it it makes it harder for me to invest in like especially the duels because I don't know nice, if yeah. I don't know if Thorkell's is like pushed to his limit or if he's just gonna punt. <laughs> Punt, punt, Thorfinn half a mile away, yeah. and, then they, and then by the time they get to him, he's like waking up from being knocked out. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I th- I th- that's a really good point because the moment you have heroes, then you, you break all the rules, and then how can you tell? It's 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 like the the, 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 the that famous like just idea that how can you be be brave if if you don't overcome your fear and it's like how can you have a, a good duel if you don't know the rules they're they're fighting by it's like yeah. what what they're not overcoming anything if it's just okay and now I use my superpower yeah yeah I mean is it impressive that Thorfinn was able to keep fighting with a broken arm or is that just something that he can do because he's a named character mm-hmm. uh, I mean like I, I it 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 leans towards the latter, like looking at how little Thorkel was bothered by losing two of his fingers, the two fingers that make sure that the grip on his axe is strong, hmm. but he's so strong anyway, it doesn't matter. Like, but then again, like Thorkel's kind of an idiot. Maybe he doesn't realize that he's at a disadvantage having had half his fingers cut off. Yeah. Or I don't know. I mean, I accept that this is this, this is anime and this is a show in which someone says you're not allowed to die until I kill you. <laughs> so like I shouldn't I shouldn't be like, but what are the stakes of the fight? Are they managing the stakes properly? An example of like superhuman fighting in Vinland Saga that didn't bother me was was Ashkelad fighting all his men where he's like trying to conserve his strength and put as many people between between him and the main body as possible. And like that was intelligent fighting and if Ashkelad had been had not acted like such a dummy over the past like five episodes it would have been a great like clincher of his character of even when he's even when he's pushed up against the wall he's still he's still thinking tactically mm-hmm. but not thinking strategically which is I think it's supposed to be his downfall um, but we don't get that so much so yeah. I was going to say well now we're at the point in his arc where he's essentially got what he wanted and Let's see how well that turns out. out. Yeah, I'm willing for as as if it's more not ensemble. That's great because it means less time spent on Thorfinn. So <laughs> I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, without, without talking too much about the manga, because I, I don't think it's helpful. Um, like his his character varies wildly between being really well investigated and just revert into shonen type and like i think the first season's kind of a uh condensed version of what goes on throughout the the grander thing where there's moments where like when as the moment you picked out where he's talking to Askelad about and Askelad's saying well like yeah i'm getting old and one day you'll kill me and then, then, then it's your turn yeah yeah and it's like fundamentally what's what we're presented on is is like Thorfinn's just journey of getting past his own uh, revenge lust to actually see what his dad was 
trying to teach him <laughs> like for like the entire first three episodes which he's completely ignored and his reckoning with that really and with essentially that's a lot of what transpired was his fault for p- pursuing the same things he's pursuing now yeah yeah i yeah i miss i missed the early episodes before it became a bottle battle manga but here we are I think you'll like the conclusion, but we'll see. We've got, how many, is it six episodes, you said? Five episodes. Five, yeah. I mean, one of them, one of them is, is landing between when we record this podcast and when it comes out. So uh, maybe I'll eat my word. I mean, I'm, I'm very practiced. If there's one thing this podcast has, has done for me, I eat my words regularly. So I know how they taste (laughs) and I'm, I'm ready for that here, but I will be happy because I want to like Vinland Saga, but I think that I want I think that I want The Last Kingdom and I'm getting Vikings. Hmm. And that's very frustrating to me. <laughs> Do you get a sense from the chatter around it of whether or not it's done? I don't know if it's I don't know if there's it, anything that's published has published disc numbers. I can check real quick, but no, I don't I don't think it's gonna do good enough for another one unless unless the publisher decides regardless of how the sales have done. They're fixing some scenes for, for... They're, like, changing, redoing the animation for some of the early scenes, too, in the Blu-ray, which always drives sales. So maybe it'll do gangbusters. Shut out the goddamn Naruto run. No, people love that stuff, Duncan. And they also, can't get rid of it. Uh, most importantly, obviously, Carcals, not triremes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to bring up Vinland Saga because the other thing that I've been watching and really liking... High Score Girl 2, or just the second half of High Score Girl, they kept the numbering all the way through, so they obviously tend, intend to present this as like one piece, has also had a problem of having a character who's like not, who's kind of like the like and anta- early antagonist that turns into a friend, uh, and the show should be about her because uh, Hidaka Koharu the third wheel in High School Girl's very lopsided love triangle where Haro has zero interest in anybody but Ono Akira. And Ono Akira, even though she doesn't talk, so we can't know how she feels, clearly likes Haro. Um, and so we've got this blonde girl who got into games because she had a crush on a boy and now she's probably better at games than him, but like is clearly aware of the fact that she knows that she... That, you know, harem and love triangle anime have the first girl rule, which is the first girl the protagonist meets is the one he's going to end up with. And so she's shit out of luck. But they've been so far inside her head for the the last three or four episodes that, like, she's infinitely more sympathetic than the dude she's crushing on, who's kind of just like a video game obsessed asshole or the other girl, the one that's his appointed love interest who never talks. So we don't know what she's thinking. Mm. <laughs> um, so we have this one where she, she knows that she, so she, so the end of the last season, well, the OVAs were that they were gonna, she was going to play a game. And if she beat him, he, he'd have to date her. Um, and that outcome has been mooted. They don't even bring it up really uh, for this 
And so she's hanging out and she's still really mad at him. And so she's treating him like shit. So he goes to uh, Shibuya to play instead, uh, where he instantly becomes a delinquent in a very funny scene where he like they like he like beats this this hard boss. And they're like, oh, you're pretty good. You should join our gang. They're like the Shibuya squad. Uh, we play video games all the time. We're, we're trying to fight the people back in your home home district. And so he gets like, you know like a like a hoodie and track pants and a, a skull cap with skulls on them <laughs> and everyone who sees him is like why'd you change your clothes and like oh they gave me these they said my old clothes were dumb uh it's a lot funnier than the first season and a half too which is pleasantly surprising to me uh but then she comes over uh hidaka comes over and ends up beating everybody at a at a some fighting game i can't keep track of everything <laughs> uh, Street Fighter Zero Two is the is the is the big thing right now in the games in the history's timeline of this of this anime. But and so but while she's playing, she hears like the gang's floozy, uh a, a Gyaru, because they have Gyaru who come and attack Haru at some point. Um but one of them's like, Oh, I just like, you know, betting these cherry boys, these easygoing guys like to just like corner them and just like push them down and that's how you get with them and she like has a thing like has a moment and then she deliberately lets it run long so they miss the the trains and then she's like hey let's go to a restaurant where she basically says like all i dream about is giving you hugs i'm I'm ruining this by by telling it but basically (laughs) she makes a hard play for like getting with him and he's like ha 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 Hiroka, you're such a pervert she's like i am a pervert is there a problem with that i really like you i want i want us to date and i don't hear you saying no and he's like oh huh. yeah um so yeah I, so i like her and i think she's a better character and more interesting because she's dealing with the fact that she knows that this is a useless crush on a loser who doesn't like her back there's no upside to it but having her deal with it it reminds me a lot of yamada from honey and clover um, where you, where you, I heard a snicker. How dare you? I think I like these was, stories a lot. She, I like, Yamata's I like the great. stories of, yes, Yamada is great. The iron lady, uh, but <laughs> not, not these, the greatest these, nicknames for any Brit to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose you've got some baggage there. Cheers. Uh, cheers. Thatcher. <laughs> but, uh, but no, just like, because that's something that I feel like is a very common experience in 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 human life that we don't often see fictionalized and dramatized is realizing that the person that you have real feelings for doesn't like you back and there's no way to trick them or convince them into liking you back. And you have to sit with this uncomfortable, painful, awkward feeling until it goes away and it does go away, but so slowly that it's that it's even more painful in a different way. And so having having this character, the one who gets the most in her monologue, because Haro's the main character dude's monologue is mostly just like, what's going on? I'm excited <laughs> for Samurai Showdown 3. Uh, uh, and then uh, Akira Ono, who, who doesn't have an inner monologue. So this is the main this is the character who gets the most in her life. Um, and all of her things are about like, why? Why do I have to be this way? What am What am I doing? I don't I don't want to like trick him into renting a hotel room with me and then like pin him down on the bed. And she's relieved that he doesn't fall for the hotel trick, and also really angry at him. And then when they're walking home, she like gives him a hug and she's like, "Look, just just hug me and tell me how it feels for you. And if you don't, if you're not feeling it, 
that's it. And she keeps trying to make him, you know, say like, no, this is never going to happen. But he is both a nice guy and also like an awkward preteen. So of course he's like, not going to say that it's, and it's, it's surprisingly well figured and I can feel the show might stretch out this love triangle a bit too long, but for now I'm really enjoying it. And I, I'm surprised that, and a, pretty ugly anime because it's it's got much heavier cg use even than than vinland saga a fairly ugly anime about playing video games and being like a crass little teenager who only thinks about video games and when the next big release is coming out to have this this portrait of just like a slowly dying crush and you know like she if she if she stops going to the arcades she doesn't see haro anymore she gives up her favorite hobby, which she picked up because she liked it. I don't know. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I look forward to Andy watching this and liking completely different things about this anime than me. <laughs> and then I can, I can call him stupid again because I, I didn't like honey and clover. I loved Yamada's slowly dwindling crush. And the, the, I think it's episode 13, 13 or 16 is like, it's called like the beefsteak plant. It's about how like when a branch is broken, there's a chance it'll heal, but probably it's going to die and fall off. And that's like a metaphor for these crushes and high score girl two doesn't, doesn't have a grand metaphor for what he, he doc is going through, but it's still well done. Like the mm. character who's given the most like inner life is this person who is left, left out in the cold while two little nerds have a perfect, like, you know, nerd romance. Do you think and like, part of what's making her appeal is like she is the only one who is getting that like dialogue about how how she feels as opposed to like what's going on in honey and clover where you've got like a love pentagram quadrangle some septagram like dozens and dozens of (laughs) intersecting venn diagrams of love triangles i mean it doesn't hurt but like I do think that Hidaka is blessed with having the most difficult and interesting desires. Like, Ono just wants to play games with Haruo, and Haruo just wants to play games with Ono. And they it would be a very boring love story if there wasn't this person dealing with this thorny relationship where she acknowledges that there's like this weird entanglement between her feelings with Haruo and her feelings for these games. And at one point, uh, after... After Ono finds out, and it's actually pretty cool with the fact that, like, they spent all night together non-sexually, Hidaka and Haruo, like, she challenges her to a game, and, and Hidaka has this, has this great inner monologue where she realizes, like, oh, she picked a suboptimal character to fight against um, the secret character from Street Street Fighter that she picked. Uh, I forget what the, (laughs) what the name of it is, but it's the one that you have to, like, if you mess up, you select Ryu accidentally, but it's the guy who can, like, shoot all these fireballs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and she realizes like, she's like, I'm, I'm doing all this cheap shit to show my love. Like, and she's working hard. She's got a hard working love. I have a, I have a cheap love. Why am I like, why am I doing this? If I win, do I really get to keep him? There is, there is getting to be in her head is a big help, but I also think that she also is more conflicted than Haro being like, oh, two girls like me. I like one more, but the other one, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, scare her away. And Akira Ono, who, again, never speaks, has never spoken a single word in the course of this entire now 
what 18 episodes of anime mm-hmm. so, so i, I like, really wonder if the the mangaka who came up with it like just like regrets doubling down on that gag yeah i wonder it's it's not as weird in a manga for a character to never speak because you assume they're just speaking when the panels aren't on them mm-hmm. or but you don't but like in this in an anime you have to like every scene you have to see people talk to her and she's got to nod or shake her head and that's the only communication she can make with the outside world and it's just like i don't know about the wisdom of writing a love story that that features a self-involved guy and a mute girl a functionally mute girl mm-hmm. um and i think one of the reasons that they introduce uh that they introduce Ono's hilarious older sister, uh, who, who is she played by? We just talked about this and now I've forgotten. Um, (laughs) but she, but she, she basically does a lot of the talking for her, uh, for her younger sister because she can't talk. And it makes me wonder like how, how much, uh, Oh yeah, she was uh she was Fukujiro in in uh Gun Gale Online. That's why she's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh but yeah, like she exists largely to just say the things that in a normal anime or manga that her younger sister would say, but she can't because her gag is that she can't talk. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so it's you don't even know what and, she's feeling besides like when she gets mad when Haro does not act loving to her. That's the only time we really get to see how she feels. So it's yeah, and, and it's it's not only that she doesn't talk, but she's like almost totally affectless because she has this yes. kind of like goth Lolita vibe and like sundry kind of like you well, know, she's fair, either like no enraged one's, no one's or... very emotive in, in this in this anime. The the technology's not there yet. Yeah. And but, but like I'm I'm pretty sure like even in the manga when there was no limitation like that whatsoever, you she was probably still either, you know, flat or enraged and kicking her. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's the it's the tsundere thing where, you know, it's hard to tell if some... Like, usually you can pick up the tsundere tropes, tropes because they say stuff like, it's not like I did this for you or anything. Yep. But she can't talk. So all she does is just kick him sometimes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're like, well, I guess she likes him because they keep hanging around each other. But even but even that's handled better by, by Hidaka's arc because, like, there's... Like, her friend who is, like, an ultra-goth lowly... Um, uh, who she like was her mentor who during the gap between the seasons like taught her to be like better than Haro. Um, she's just like, why do you treat him like shit? I thought you liked him. And she's like, I do like him. But like every time I see him, I get really mad at him. And I don't really know why. And her friend's like, oh, you know why? And and <laughs> like part of the character's development is is being like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm mad at him because I have feelings for him. And he doesn't he doesn't care enough to like decide either way and maybe this is just me being burnt out on anime Hmm. forever but like having a character there who's like it's bullshit that you won't reject me is good i like that it's good i'm i'm saying it's good actually (laughs) because (laughs) because (laughs) yeah i think like anime often doesn't want people to be villains in love stories like that you don't rejection and you don't see like oh yeah this was the the character's first love who horrifically rejected them before they ended up with their second it's always that their first love they they fall in love with and that's all we ever see of them it's like yeah but yeah but i'm i'm in i'm enjoying it and i 
I need to, it's only going to be nine episodes, so I'm already, we're already got four more until the end. So but. that, it, the, the OVAs took up to, to 15, wasn't it? So it's still taking mm-hmm. to 24. Okay. Yep. So it's going it, to, backdoor, they made it, a, made it a full two core, okay. backdoor ways. But, um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I'm surprised at how much I'm enjoying this. And I remember way, way back in the very beginning of Keyframes when Andy was talking about the legal yeah. uh, fracas around this. And I was like, <laughs> oh, huh, yeah. a game, uh, a show where they play video games. Cool. Uh, and to compare that to something like After School Dice Club, like this is, is or even, excuse me, even Dagashi Kashi, like mm-hmm. this has almost as big of a story to tell, I think, about the characters as like the Dagashikashi second season with with uh, Coconuts' manga ambitions. That's a weird sentence I just said. <laughs> uh, but but I, I enjoy... It's so funny that I keep watching these, these super procedural, super hobby-focused anime with the hopes that they'll like unfold and actually be about the human experience. Um, and I feel like I... Even though I've watched a lot of crap... A lot of crap. I feel like I get luckier than I would have expected. And I think High Score, High Score Girl Season 2 basically makes a fool out of me, what, six months ago when I, was, when I was saying how disappointed I was with the reset to zero that the OVAs did after the first season's drama. So, yeah, I'm happy. I'm, I'm glad this is probably, besides Chihiafru, which is great. It's great. Keep keep it coming. Like this is probably my favorite thing that I'm watching this season, and maybe in a couple seasons. So yeah, that's just encouraging. To I look hear. I look forward to look forward to when it lands on Netflix and the rest of the world can watch it, just like <laughs> Carol and Tuesday. Yep, everybody's gonna hate it. <laughs> probably. I mean, because <laughs> it looks bad. It 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 is an exceptionally ugly anime. Yeah, uh, and a few more this season. They're doing a few more like taking advantage of like the weird doll like moments of of the show to like make jokes and stuff um to add more like pauses and comedic timing to to different scenes but yeah mostly it's just like it's so funny when ono is supposed to be like moving gracefully and she just looks like she's doing the robot because they're they're i don't know taking screen caps yeah. and poser or something i don't know <laughs> But yeah, no, I like this. I like I'm I'm cheering for blonde hair, blonde eyelashes girl to find someone better, although this is a weirdly devoid of male characters show despite how like boy centric arcades were in the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um they he's basically got his like cool friend and his lady killer friend who's got like the weird dark sparkles around his head. Um, but weird dark sparkles guy is going through a bad stretch. He got beat up by the, by the Garu and they stole his pants. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that's what I've been watching. Yeah. All Jeff, right. you've been Speaking... watching Haruhi, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Um... No, hit, me with that, hit me with that transition. Come on. <laughs> so speaking of shows where people have are relying on the continuation of their existence on making somebody believe that they like them. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I've been watching <laughs> The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Uh, which oh, do do I need to explain what the show is? I guess I probably should. The very, the very mm-hmm. rough premise. It's been it's been at least a dozen episodes since we've talked about Haruhi. So there is a girl who is very excited about finding uh, 
time travelers and space aliens and people with superpowers. Um, and so she creates a school club to find those things. And surprise, spoilers, seriously, spoilers, kind of, I guess. But she's God. Who, ha- who and hasn't so... watched Haruhi besides you, though? In I mean, I, okay. To be fair, I have watched the first season of Haruhi before there was a second season and just never got around to the second season. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she's surprised she's God. Everybody she, around her happens to be those things and they're trying to keep her having fun and not destroying the universe on a whim. Uh, and yeah, and it mostly is a sort of slice of life show about these kids just kind of fucking around this sort of rural-ish town um, following Haruhi around on her various schemes and like flights of interest and it's an interesting show because I think you're supposed to like Haruhi but (laughs) she is a monster and not just because she's God like she is like nearly a sociopath and a lot of the show is about them sort of enabling her and trying to keep her happy in a way that I didn't remember being as troubling. I think it's mostly in the second season uh, that that really comes to the fore. Like, and I, I insisted on going back and watching it because when it first aired, they had the like the DVD order and they had the Haruhi or, or the, the the airing order. Mm-hmm. Um, and the version that I saw still had all of the uh, all the previews, and so. They would say, you know, next episode, and you know, Haruhi would say, it's, oh, this next episode is number 16. And there's, you know, Kion, the, the male potato-coon protagonist, is like, no, this is episode two. And so they were kind of, like, tipping their hand that the order was, like, you know, all over the place. Because it's, it's not chronological at all. And, like, halfway through an arc, they will just, like, jump six months in the future and just start telling you about something else like they're they're right in the middle of in the first season uh one of the girls in their class is revealed to be this like knife wielding space alien super soldier and she just about kills kyon and then it just turns out that the the mousy quiet girl in their club is also one of these like hyper fighters and they like you know, create a new reality and have a giant anime battle. And then next episode, oh, they're going, they're all having fun and going on a, uh, going on a boat trip to a random mansion to have a, a murder mystery. And then you don't go back to this other crazy arc for like five or six episodes. It's it's a really strange decision. Like the first episode that I that in in the airing order that I watched is this like really lo-fi intentionally amateurish uh student film that they make for the uh that they make for the cultural festival and it is so off-putting like I remember watching it the first time and having no idea what the fuck the show was even supposed to be like it's, I it's the think... hardest way to get the people people into the anime like I don't know yeah. why DVD order is airing order is a chronological order but with the like magical mikuru fan film as the first episode yeah Which it's, that's, it's, 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 it's hilarious for like all like the bad cuts and the flubbed dialogue and mm-hmm. all like the the like yeah bad amateur film jokes are great but they're not what how he's about and they give a bad impression 
But at the same time, it's also secretly kind of what Haruhi's about because all the characters <laughs> that they're playing in this student film also just so happen to be what they are in the show. And and the cat talks. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The I, cat I talks. love the cat talks joke. I love the cat's yeah. voice too. He's got this deep, like, you know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like, yeah, the, the, the classic, like, it's, it's kind of like, uh, fuck, was it? No, never mind. Um, but yeah, so the... I think the reason I came back to this, I saw somebody put together a random supercut of like one moment. So there's this infamous art called the Endless Eight, um, which we've brought it before, where they effectively just do the same episode eight times in a row. Uh, there, I, as far as I can tell, there was like hardly any re, like reused animation, like any more than they would in a virtually like, none. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like so they animated you know, the same episode. With extremely minor differences eight times. Different outfits, different angles, but the same episode. And there isn't even really, like, like in the second... Like, like every now and then they they kind of hint at, oh, maybe this is what's going on. Oh, maybe this is what's going on. But there's never any real progression. And, like, they could have had the same impact in, like, two or three. And the fact that they went for eight is, like... That's a amazing. decision. That's a, it's, it's amazing. A, it's, a, it's a fucking choice. Like it's that weird sine wave of comedy where like it's funny <laughs> and then it's not funny and then it becomes funny again if you just keep doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like they, I somebody had put together a supercut of like one moment of that and it was like okay, maybe I'll just like go back and watch the show because it was like interesting to see just like one exchange eight different times. Yeah. With heart with that were completely different but also not different whatsoever. Yeah, stuck in this time loop of two weeks over and over. Yeah. I mean, I don't I think I'm ever going to watch Endless 8 again, but as an artistic decision, I think it's one of the most brave and interesting things that's ever happened in anime. Mm-hmm. And I will fight anybody who's who says, like, oh, it should have been two or three episodes. That's not how you sound, Jeff, but it's how the rest of yeah. it sounds. Like, it's crazy. I, you can't... I, and, 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 like, I was there for when it was happening... And just like the riots on the message boards, because every, when you're when it's airing, you wait an entire week for their hierarchy, and you're like, please don't be another endless eight, and it's another endless eight. <laughs> it's just, it's it's a masterful troll, and yet like this kind of it's like a, you know like how it's like art off, oftentimes with great artists, like you compare their self portraits to see how they've progressed. But like the idea that just like doing the same episode over and over with minor variations, some of which are like a small handful of which are meaningful, but the majority of which are literally just like pointless flare on the deck mm-hmm. of the Titanic sinking down to abyss of eight, <laughs> eight episodes <laughs> of the same plot. But like, oh, I, I, I respect it so much that it exists to use the parlance of our podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like, I almost wonder if it's like, if the, if the, if the the whole point of the joke is that eight is like you know it's like august is the eighth month so it's the endless eight so it's like the endless august but also they're like oh we'll just lean right into it and make it eight episodes as well like well, I, eight, I, is, I assume... eight is also eight is also infinity turned sideways hmm mm. oh, all right yeah that's nice and i i have to assume that in the light novels there was just like eight chapters that no were no there's, there's no reason it should be eight in in the in the, I, I, what I've read, I haven't read the, the the light novels themselves, but there's no reason, apparently, no reason it had to be eight. They just decided on eight because endless endless eight is the name of the the sequence. <laughs> so, at the risk of fighting Ben, I don't like endless eight. 
Um, Define like. Well, I, I don't know if anybody def- likes it. We, we respect it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I neither like or respect it. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like it is somewhat overindulgent with comparative to the impact it has like it's like well I, I've thought of a smart thing I I wish will amuse me and a, a few people and I'm gonna do it because I feel like it and like I don't feel like it really ups like communicates anything new or tells us anything new it just feels like experimentation for the sake of experimentation, which I mean, yeah, sure, fine. Well, well, let me ask you this then, Duncan. How many times have you ever actually seen a time loop played out with to the point that the audience gets bored? <laughs> I mean, uh, personally, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trolling you, but like, um, I've never, I've never gotten to the point where like, oh my god, is this again? I mean, and have you ever been to a gallery where there's a video who uh, exhibit which loops? And yes, but I, but I, and, and like that, I don't that, stay long in those. Okay, to me, that's that's what it, it, this is. It, it's like saying to people, okay, um, at some point, this video is going to show something different, but we will never tell you when. Feel free to stay as long as you like, and just like some weird sociological experiment, seeing how many people run the fuck out of that room before something new actually happens or not, rather than actually like. If it was, like, literally, okay, we're putting out a, a new DVD of a special DVD of Harry, and it's going to be eight episodes long, and everyone's really hyped, and then it's just those eight episodes, and there's nothing which comes after and nothing which comes before, I'd be like, full on, that's that's what you're doing. It's on its own, it's a, a piece of, about th- that repetition. But when it's placed within the wider na- narrative framing of a just conventional, well, you'll probably argue not non-conventional story. I would. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get we'll get back to the weird airing order of Haruhi in a second. Don't you worry. Yeah. yeah. But it, I don't know. I feel like it's just doesn't really communicate anything to me. And I, like I, I'm used to like okay, so I'm going to be. I'm forced to watch this installation and I'm I'm there in this room and I'm trying to and I'm the entire point of it is okay you're here with this small thing which is looping over and you're supposed to be looking at it and picking out something from this exact same thing which is happening again and again and like part of what you guys have talked about is it doesn't do that it it's in it has more craft than that it goes on and does different things and it's it's like you're not re- you're it's a i suppose yeah i suppose that's the the in, inherent heart of of my problem with it is that it's a guided tour rather than a, a examination in f- which is more self-directed from the audience. Because, like, if you sit down and say, I'm going to watch this episode eight times, and you do that, you will pick up entirely different things than uh, than it would... Like, let's say he, Ben sits down and watches this is the first episode of Endless Eight eight times. Jeff watches the whole of Endless Eight, eight t- in a go. What does Jeff end up knowing that Ben does not? And what does Ben end up drawing conclusions which Jeff does not? And is that even is that just a just that that question a justification of it? And I don't know. I, I, I think you've completely vindicated me, Duncan. I'm sorry. I think we're just different people. But like what you've said 
makes endless eight sound so fascinating to me and again <laughs> not something i'm likely to like do anything about but because it is the, it is fundamentally the same episode eight times but here let me try to pull it back into mm. uh so like the first season of Haruhi is infamous for having this non-chronological order and jeff interrupt me at any time if i'm saying something that you can build on but right. so what it does is it takes this chronologically viewed Haruhi um is a slice of life uh, move a slice of life show about a bully and the four people who <laughs> who propitiate her mm-hmm. um, and nothing ever really happens. They just like have weird adventures, but the way that they rearrange it in the airing order turns it into a love story about this woman who's never really found anything worth noticing in other people, noticing something in another guy, and then realizing that while he does see her in a way that she hasn't been seen before, it's not, it's, they're not on the same wavelength and Mm -hmm. resigning herself back to back down to just being friends and not in the sort of like shitty friend zone, like, Oh, you know? So, and I think that's, that's stupendous. And so the second season by showing you that that narrative is mutable by just rearranging these episodes with endless eight goes on to to show that aesthetic and image is mutable even if they're united by fundamentally the exact same narrative and this is these are games that how he is playing in both of its seasons and I think Jeff can't speak to this yet because I don't think you've gotten to the disappearance of Haruhi Haru Suzumiya. Yeah, I haven't but seen the movie yet. I think that the movie also also does like I think a lot of what Haruhi is about is is rearranging these fundamental building blocks of of audiovisual medium and being like, look, we can tell a different story, we can give a different mood by moving these small parts around. And I think Endless Eight is is an exercise in that. I don't, I wouldn't say it's successful because I think if it was successful, people would praise it a lot more than just the weirdos on the internet like me. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think it's a very interesting experiment in just moving little bits around and seeing, seeing if it's the same, is it the same episode? If we completely reanimate it, everyone's wearing different clothes, different angles for everything at, at the, at the summer festival, Yuki doesn't get a mask. Um, Kion orders something different at the cafe. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, like, how much can we move around? Is it still the same story? Uh, and I think these questions are interesting. And again, I anybody wants to opt out, doors right there. Go, go, be gone. And mm-hmm. not, and like, I, I don't mean like I'm not kicking, I'm not kicking you out, but like, you can go somewhere else, and that's fine because there's so much anime. But I do think that like the that Haruhi is extremely experimental in a way that's really fascinating. And I I am glad that Endless Eight exists. I am happy for failed experiments in anime. We'll be talking about Trigger so, in the second a, half of this a, podcast and woof. A, a question for you for you both on this. Like okay. okay, I have I'll ask you first and then I'll I'll put out what I think about it and uh, but what do you think do you think that what do you think is the unifying reason behind the mixed chronological chronological order of the first season and the uh, the the format of endless eight do you th- do you feel like there is a a reasoning uh, behind the choice to have those two things as part of the anime's production, which reflects something the anime is saying about a subject or one of its characters. 
Uh, for me, the the I prefer the airing order to the DVD order uh, or the chronological order, uh, mostly because the the emotional arc of the show happens very early chronologically. So a lot of the really wild supernatural stuff happens in like the first like major arc, basically of like like the the titular melancholy of uh, Suzumi Haruhi, where. You know, they they dive deep into like the time traveler and the uh, the alien and the you know the shonen superhero and you know the world almost coming to an end and everything else. Uh, and if you watch that chronologically, that would be finished in like the first like six, like six episodes. Whereas, and then you just have this kind of like meandering tale of them like managing this like weird crazy god and without having that full info dump it it adds a lot of mystery and a lot of weird texture that on a second viewing you know like the on a second viewing a lot of the scenes play out a lot differently because when you first see them interacting it seems like oh they're just like these kids having fun and then afterwards you realize oh they're actually terrified of her they are doing everything they can to keep her happy and it creates a completely different emotional tomber. Um, like, especially uh, Koizumi, like the other guy in the, in the show, like for the most part, he is unreadable. Uh, he, you know, he's like, he's the most agreeable. He's the one who like, like Haruhi basically, you know, she treats him like the number two because he's just this like complete sycophant. Yes, man to her because he is the one who's like the most afraid of her. And you, every now and then you will see a little bit of a break in his facade of like just how scared and how desperate he is for this to work out he is and if you had that right up front it would completely change the show and when and and so like so like the emotional arc for the viewer i think is preserved in an interesting way with the out of order uh with the out of order sequence um also it's a, it's surprising how well like i was saying like even though that really off-putting uh amateur student film is like it's a hard way to get into the show like i think the only reason i even watched it in the first place is because i watched it in you know in my you know in my in my more youthful days where like you know the ability to get anime was a lot more difficult so once <laughs> you had something you you kind of felt committed to watching it and just like okay i guess i'm just gonna watch this and then and then you know it has the big reveal of like this is haruhi and she's got like the big like like you know super director armband on and so you have an idea of like this is who this person is and like that would normally be the last episode i think in the in the dvd order uh but and and yeah it's and it's just like like you know much like the endless eight like it's it's interesting that they made something that you could show out of sequence but still be cohesive as a show more or less mm-hmm. um and then flipping over to the endless eight uh you know i i, I not having watched it over an eight week period but like watching it over like you know two or three days I was I was noticing a lot of little things that you know they would be major differences like you know, they would have, you know, everybody's like a different, you know, clothes or, you know, they have like slightly different orders. But like there were some things that were consistent, like Haruhi takes them all out to buy yukatas to go to a bond festival. And she consistently picks the same one for Asahino, the like sort of airhead 
adult baby senpai <laughs> in the group. Oh, God. Um, and I, she, like, she consistently... Perhaps my one of the most hated characters. I, <laughs> I just cannot stand it. It's just but it's, such it's a Yuko, baby. It's Yuko Goto. How can you dislike <sighs> Yuko Goto's performances? <laughs> and, I don't... Uh... But she, like, consistently picks the same Yukata for her every time for, like, the first five. And then... On the sixth one, Haruhi's wearing it, and on the seventh and eighth, it's nowhere to be seen. And you can sort of see, like, her very shallow lizard brain trying to figure out, like, what is the perfect, you know, last two weeks of summer. And, or, like, you know, they go to a different pool one time, and every other time it's the same pool. And you, it's, like, just her, like, sort of working it out. And she never ends up working it out. She has to, you know, have, be, have it told to her by somebody else uh, in the end. And... And like yeah, like it's 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 an interesting experiment with the form, but also there's just like a little sprinkling of you know intentionality of like there is like you you can tell that it's you know something is happening on some level sequentially. It's not just a complete loop. There is you know there is a slight purpose to every iteration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like if I'd watched that over eight weeks, like there's no way in hell I would have noticed half that shit. <laughs> yeah, I this is gonna double back on some of the comments already made and build off of what Jess already Mm -hmm. said. But I do think that, that Haruhi is often exercised in the Kuleshov effect. If do I need to define that? I mean, I should define that for our listeners. So the Kuleshov effect (laughs) is the, is basically the, the, like the, the neural processes the psychological processes that when you show one thing and then show another thing, we see a story between the two things. If, if you show a man and then you show a gun and then you show someone in a dead in a pool of blood, you think that someone shot him. Uh, and that is how the Kuleshov effect works. And I think it's, it's why cinema is a different medium than, than other, than other, uh, types of types of, yeah. And um, I've brought it up before. I bring it up a lot because I'm a pretentious wank. But uh, I think that Haruhi often likes to play with if we show this episode and then we show this episode, what's the story that, that is built in your head? And that's how we get the first season. And the second season is <laughs> what if we show the same thing eight times? What's the narrative that's built in your head? And you can see that, that Jeff just built a narrative out of the, out of the Yukata <laughs> that, that Haruhi picks. And, and again, like I, I think that that is, is fundamentally like, the relationship between our perception of time and chronology narrative and what happens if we mess with that? What happens if we show things that are clearly out of order temporally, because as Jeff said, like you have like a, you have a cliffhanger and then you have some other random episode and, or if you just show the same thing over and over, like how fragile is our perception of, of narrative and of a beginning and a middle and an end. If you remix it with these different, the, these these different patterns and to be as consummately pretentious as I can I think that mm-hmm. it kind of like like <laughs> I mean the the infamous uh, AMV hell uh, bit of like what if God was one of us with just Haruhi dancing on stage um, but like is this how Haruhi perceives time like is this is like no, is, no, be, no, is, no, being, no, is being is being normal dependent on 
perceiving events in the same order as other people and what kind of violence does happens to our perception of normality if we're shown things out of order are we able to reconstruct the original sequence or do we just have a completely different understanding of events mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. yeah that, that's the the question i've always had of whether or not like all this shenanigans with ordering is any active attempt by the directors to like reflect on the idea of omnipotence and is this what it feels like when god falls in love like experiencing everything about someone simultaneously and out of order and but and it's so interesting because because it makes haruhi into this like mercurial bitch the whole (laughs) if you watch them if you watch them in chronological order she is she is unpredictable she's nice to kill in one episode and awful them the next and it makes no sense and if you watch it in airing order she falls in love with him and Mm. then like decides against it ultimately and i think it's kind of beautiful and i'm glad that it happened and also it's exhausting to watch episodes in airing <laughs> order and i don't know how many times i could do it in my life so it's it's <laughs> there's a certain fragility that i really appreciate with like haruhi's narrative experimentations and like if i ever watch it again i'm probably going to watch the first one and the last one of of endless eight because <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot of your irreplaceable life watching watching them stunt on you yeah. like this yeah. but at the same time i'm glad it exists like no one's done this no one's done this besides maybe like reason. weird german film like experimental filmmaker maybe but mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm just perhaps a lot more tolerant of things where it's a five minute loop rather than a 25 <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean i cannot i cannot say as much like as someone who was there and it's funny because i was looking for this last time we brought it up of like the backlash and there's a lot of articles talking about the backlash, but like a lot of it happened in ephemera, online ephemera, like forum threads mm. or instant messenger mm-hmm. stuff. So you can't really find a lot of the evidence of how angry people were about about wasting their time, quote unquote. And yeah. anime wastes your time a lot. It does not waste your time in service of some weird, high-minded art experiment. So. Excuse me for being excited that that it exists. I yeah. I'm fully willing to like take the heat for that. <laughs> and then like the 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 final few episodes of the second season is actually the making of the student film from the first season and that does a lot of work to really drive home the fact that Haruhi is an asshole. <laughs> and she and you know and the fact that they've been enabling her and like it, like it stops being cute. Like the way that she abuses uh, Asahina, the way that she, uh, like the way that her like power is being used completely. Like, like you know, it, you know I, I want to say like irresponsibly, but like how dangerous like she potentially can be because like she starts telling you know, so like Asahina is like you know like I was saying before like the total airhead who. How he press gangs into being the the star of the movie, possibly and, a pretend airhead though. Yeah, <laughs> and the and you know and she starts telling us like, oh, it's like you know in this scene you're gonna have this you know power beam that comes out of your eye, and she like sticks a like an uncomfortable fake contact lens <laughs> you know into her eye, and she's like you're like okay this is this is fun and then of course you know because she's god and she wants it to happen you know it actually starts you know firing lasers around and the 
you know, the normally mousy girl has to like tackle her and inject her with like nano machines so that you know this <laughs> this dumb thing stops happening. But then it also they, the, the you know, running joke of, of Yuki having to tackle Asahina in the making of yeah. is really funny. I think it happens like three or four times. That's oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, and and like and those scenes like make it into the movie without any kind of context because and like you know if this is you know you're seeing it in real time you know these are scenes that you saw three four years ago and you know only now finally getting explained which uh, again like interesting cool fun and like you just you you really have to stop. You know, if you ever were like on Haruhi's side, like I don't really know how you would continue to be so. And it's an interesting flip for these kinds of shows where like by all appearances, like if you look like at a, you know, at a still frame of the show, you're going to think, oh, this is like a, for- a harem show. You're going to have this like potato coon, like dumbass who's just surrounded by all these girls who love him and whatever. And what you actually get is a dude who like he's He's a little bit horny, but for the most part, he's actually a pretty decent guy. <laughs> he's and it's very Harvey. not horny for anime character for by the standards of anime boys. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> and even by the standard of boys, yes. But he, but he, but he's 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 genuinely a nice person. Like he isn't like a perverted like washout d bag. Like he's you know he's kind of low energy, but he's not like you know he's not just like an otaku weirdo who's you know you're your like wish fulfillment character like Haruhi is this person who kind of sucks and you know has everything handed to her but is also a huge asshole to everybody around here and it's a very interesting and refreshing show um and then I remember I was gonna gonna ask like if you look at the screen caps and it just looks like a generic harem show what other show that's closely related to Haruhi have you watched Jeff that is a generic harem show uh, the, the the Yuki Nagato spinoff? Yeah, I'm going to say, like, are you trying to walk me into the disappearance of Yuki Nagato? <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, and then I... Because I thought the disappearance of Yuki Nagato was the next thing, I watched that as well. And when I was watching Haruhi uh, more recently, I had said, you know, something to the effect of, I wish this show had less supernatural bullshit and it was just more like about normal people and that's basically what yuki nagato is and it, it kind of like tests my <laughs> it kind of like tests andrew shoots it <laughs> no jeff likes this anime for some reason yeah. it's really oh, upsetting okay. yeah fine <laughs> and oh yeah like actually so i i i liked it because much like you had problems with you know do you know how do i care about Thorkel if I don't know what the rules of the universe is and so like for Harhi like you know they're they're intentionally you know playing with your ability to like believe in things that are happening in literally because things can happen on a whim like you don't know if you know what people's motivations are whereas this is just a much more straightforward show like a character who gets written out very early in uh, so it's oh, sorry, so basically what this show is is like it's a retelling of the same period of time more or less but the difference being that Haruhi doesn't go to their school and also evidently is not god it's the premise of the disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya but played straight and not as a drama okay yeah so where, where yeah. they all goes they they are still friends but Haruhi goes to a different school and is not god and yeah, and so you just get this story of this like Yuki the mousy girl. She's not like 
a weird alien, you know, computer god. She's just this like weird gamer girl who is trying to like have a nice time, and she ends up press ganging or not press ganging, but just like getting Kion to join literature club when she's told that it's going to get shut down because at the beginning of the first season, you know, or at the beginning of Haruhi, you know, the Yuki being in the literature club, but being the only member is just kind of a convenient way for Haruhi's bullshit SOS brigade to have school space. Whereas in this, like it becomes the, uh, like the inciting moment. Like, so if things start kicking off like later on in the school year for them, but then, you know, they start slowly collecting all the same characters and, like, in a fairly believable way. Like, the fact that Haruhi has, like, she's still systematically alienating everybody, except for, like, the the few people who can, like, put up with her or, like, have no choice but to put up with her. And so, like, seeing Haruhi as being, like, a secondary character who is just, like kind of a weird asshole who people kind of put up with as opposed to the, you know, the title character is kind of interesting. And then they do a whole thing where like, she has like a dissociative episode and becomes the Yuki from the original show. And then that Yuki falls in love with Kion and it's a big tear jerking thing that worked on me because I'm easy that way. Like I love Dino Hada. <laughs> like I refuse to defend it and I refuse to refute it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah and then and and i also like like the little sort of like references and gags that they do uh to the original series like when they are putting together the their christmas party uh yuki writes you know merry xmas on the window with like uh, the spray the spray snow stuff that could be seen from the outside properly whereas in like i've seen like the first like 15 minutes of the movie and like Haruhi does it so that she can see it on the inside but everybody looking <laughs> in it's backwards and they're like that's backwards it looks like garbage she's like whatever i'm gonna be looking at it so fuck you <laughs> <laughs> see that's why i love Haruhi though like she's she <laughs> we've we've had a couple of conversations about just like dumb female characters and like Haruhi despite being God is not terribly smart and mostly self-involved yeah. more than anything so mm -hmm. I like that shit yeah yeah she's definitely she's a good character but she's not a good person <laughs> <laughs> yeah well what I want you to watch well first off of course I want you to watch this appearance of Haruhi Suzumiya because it will be very very weird for you to watch that after having watched all of this appearance of, of Nagato Yuki-chan but what you really <laughs> need to watch after both of those uh <laughs> Uh, reading my own review of it, I, I said I called it the Better Call Saul of the Haruhi franchise. Uh, <laughs> I'm so funny, um, but work on me. I I want you to watch the the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya Chan, the like cheap CG shorts that they made of it, which are extremely funny and mostly just stunt on how like a like bullying terror Haruhi is and how impossible it would be <laughs> for anyone to have her in their lives. So I think you'll appreciate that. Definitely. Nice. It'll nice. take you like an hour to watch. I think they're two hours all told all of them together. So cool. I'm into it. Who cares about new anime? Fucking anime. <laughs> Let's watch everything from 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> everything old is new again. Speaking yeah. of. Yeah. Speaking of anime from 2011, I carrying on from the future where speaking of things which happen out of, of sequence uh, <laughs> events that happen in the future might cause me to want to watch a certain anime called Symphogear which uh, is a very very strange beast indeed 
So, short version, it's a magical girl crossed with mecha fighting, crossed with weird past civilization Assassin's Creed bullshit. Uh, and it's also the most over the top anime for at least a year <laughs> until <laughs> another anime we'll talk about very shortly comes along and does a lot of the same things very similarly um but um i think it's it's a it's a show which is sort of quietly notorious within the an- anime community for starting off like a very generic grim dark uh, magical girl show oh what terrible fate these these girls do live where they're forced to fight against these endless hordes of invading aliens magical beings so on and so forth etc and then just goes you know what the interesting part of this isn't the weird plot it's just the people hitting each other with it is it is sequentially larger and larger weapons until you get swords the size of skyscrapers guns the size of battleships and ends with someone the 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 final plot of the first season is someone is literally someone has has created a tower which is also a cannon and she's going to shoot the moon with it because god lives in the moon and she is god's spurned lover and she's going to get his attention again i did i did not expect it to be this unhinged already in the plot <laughs> description and yeah someone build, builds a little literal tower of babel to shoot at god to get his attention and it's a very like yeah i i, I i'm probably gonna watch more of this just <laughs> Because well, like, we were talking about the infamous chart for for Symphony yeah. Gear Two, where it just supposed to just goes up and up and up and then goes yeah, vertical eventually. You've just shot a uh, the t- you've just shot the Tower of Babel at God in the moon, and this is not your high point of excess. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm gonna find out what happens next. But just to just talk about it uh, before people go, oh yeah, this sounds like a, a, a strange thing. It's also not that well a produced thing um, um i came to it from a a series which i really love called review starlight which has immaculate and astonishingly staged animation this does not this is blood like ketchup and has like dumbly animated oh, the, the the bad guys honestly look something like like out of a, a Power Rangers show, they they look like this. It that they're bad guys, which almost const- look like something where people are const- design is constrained by having to put a person inside it, or by the fact that you can't draw them more than a couple of pol- polygons, and you have to create these weird semi-abstract beasts and stuff. And it's oh, they're, they're not CG, but they might as well be they're that bad. And they have the great generic name of the noise because uh, <laughs> if it, if it wasn't me- mentioned before, which it probably should have, is that these magical girls are also idols, 
and they sing when they fight and that's why they have this magical mechanical sympho gear which enhances their ability to fight and is an ancient weapon from the dawn of mankind when we had one true language which allowed us to speak to god but that language is now lost and the evil uh scientist wants to who was the reincarnation of an ancient princess wants to regain that and wants to regain god's attention to humanity even if that means everyone else dies but it's just kind of mad and kind of strange and kind of badly animated uh but has levels of excess which in excess of anything else and so like yeah if you want an extremely strange ride and you're prepared to put up with some fairly generic uh, magical girl bullshit for a couple of episodes before it goes over the top and for some fairly standard par for the course fan service and revealing outfits yeah it has those as well and you're gonna have to put up with them if you want the dumb oversized bullshit which comes later so it's far from a, a without reservations recommendation but if you're prepared to put up with a, a, a half dozen episodes which are just generic um, magical idol bullshit then you will get ungeneric magical girl idol bullshit uh, as your reward and if that reward is worth it to you then well then watch Simpho Gear and if it isn't don't do you wonder <laughs> if this if if this show is in conversation with uh uh, Madoka, which came out almost exactly a year before, because it's like part of the the dark magical girl boom that came out yeah. that started with that sort of thing. I think Madoka is a far more rigorous deconstruction, as you'd expect, of something associated with Shaft. Whereas this is, I, I, I we're going to come to this in a, a short while when we talk about sure, uh, yeah. uh, uh, triggers. Uh, own attempt to the deconstruct the magical girl uh, genre, but the, taking something to excess doesn't necessarily make it a deconstruction. It just means there's something you like about that show, and you've decided to do it to two hundred percent of what everyone else thinks is acceptable. Mm. And I think maybe that's just what Sinful Gear is at this po- point. It's just this is what this person likes about out these this particular particular genre and they're, they're going hell for leather for it and more more power to them if that's what they're the singular element they've decided to emphasize but it's it's not really saying anything at least not mm. so far and i but, I but, but it definitely was inspired by madoka you think like its um, tone i i i i think maybe someone because the uh the do you do you know if madoka has an uh manga which in turn in it, no, I don't, I don't. No, I believe that Madoka, that case, Madoka is Simple just. Gear probably predates it because I think it. It's oh, really? It was running from. I, I think it started in two. I think the manga was two thousand and nine to two thousand eleven, and the anime was twenty thirteen. No, yeah, I'm not sure, but I, I think it had a, a manga which ran for two to three years before hmm. the anime adaptation. Uh, the so, manga, the manga ran from November twenty eleven to April twenty thirteen, and Madoka. Uh, aired from January 2011 to April 2011. 
Yes, yeah, so this could anyway, well be overlap. Yeah, I just I just but, wonder because like the the like the dark magical girl subgenre has always been fascinating to me because it it lived a uh, it came up quickly and went away really quickly. I feel like well, it's, it's so, still going. Um, even just uh, last year, we had we still had things like uh, magical girl site and oh yeah, year, bef- year before. Um, y- Something which I actually ended up quite liking, which was uh, Yuki Yuno is a hero, which was actually a more generic, but actually more um, perhaps more conventional uh, Madoka, uh, but had some great animation, and I actually really enjoyed and would recommend someone if they want a slightly less I'm not sure how much but a slightly less traumatic (laughs) Madoka Uh, it still goes fairly heavy on the horrific burden these magical girls must 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 carry Um, but um, yeah Symphogear is far far lighter than that It, it has I think it's far more concerned with the excesses it can take the genre to than anything it's saying. So maybe they're both reflection of a similar um, sort of moment where people are going, okay, these shows have been around so long, why do they always work... Why are they always working within these certain confines? Why is no one ever truly in danger? Or why does everyone get a happy ending? Or why, in this Sinful Gears case, why are the swords not the size of skyscrapers? And <laughs> that's just a different concern. Uh, it's a it's still a uh, uh, concern with the um, structure of the, the genre, but more just its its signifiers rather than what it's actually necessarily saying beneath all that. Because I think the actual story, despite all the weird forgotten civilization and uh, mystical, quasi-religious trappings, is just fairly generic. Uh, uh, um, slightly rebellious can-do girl helps slightly reserved girl who has spent her life fighting fine friendship and together they beat up the the aliens so yeah and shoot god yeah yep well uh i guess for our second half we are going to be discussing a student that's made several several shows about girls who are magical Although not necessarily magical girls. So come back after the break and we will be talking about Studio Trigger anime.
we're back. As promised, we'll take y'all through a spotlight tour of Studio Trigger's works from beginning to end. This studio was originally heralded by some anime fans on the internet as, quote-unquote, saving anime. So these people are largely known for being the ones that left Gainax in 2011, uh, Specifically, Hiroyuki Imaishi, who was known for Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt, uh, a show that I have never found the urge to watch, but people mm. say is good. <laughs> and uh, more famously, Tengen Tapa Gurren Lagen, a sort of post-Eva mech deconstruction, kum, wacky, fun times romp that is extremely characteristic of Imaishi, even to the present day. Uh just to start us off with like our history um, uh, with the show, I didn't hear any affirmative grunts from you, you two, so I assume neither of you watched Panty and Stalking with Garter Belt. I think I tried to. <laughs> like, if I, I'm willing to watch Sinfo Gear because I like the director's other work, then I'm probably going to watch uh, Panty and Stalking and Garter Belt because I liked some of the director's other work. Um, and, and that is... I think that's going to... Panting Stocking is probably worth most notable for being a very strong homage to uh, Western Saturday morning in cartoons like uh, the Powerpuff Girls, while at the same time being as deliberately crude and uh, hypersexual, yeah, and cathartically violent as possible. It's like. Powderpuff Girls animated with the vocab of South Park and the fight styles of, I don't know. Something where they fight really violently. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But but you won't go out and say it's, like, good. You're just, you're just, it's no, interesting. because it's, it's not good. It's, it's, it's dumb. It's occasionally uh, amusing, but it's... I don't think I can, with much good conscience, say it's good. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, like it, it's very tryhard, which I think is probably going to be a word that's used a lot in oh, the course of this. You better believe it. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of tryhard, speaking of your drill being the drill that will pierce the heavens, I think we all liked Gurren Logan, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it in ten years, but I liked it. I have. It's boobier than it should be, which is also going to be a recurring theme for, especially Imaishi <laughs> oh, yeah. directed stuff. But I think it it definitely made as much of a mark in kind of post mecha slash deconstruction mecha anime like Evangelion, like Fooly Cooly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, I think ultimately it shows that it's really like locked down to. Imishi's talents where uh he he kind of made his own impression and there wasn't as many imitators as there were for either Fooly Cooly or Evangelion. I think I I may be maybe it's just cuz where it came in my particular sort of consumption of mech anime but it was like a burst of like fresh primary color in this genre which had until then just been these like muted miserable scenes of suffering <laughs> and like I think people just it's so, so trite to say this people just enjoyed it it was just a very enjoyable little journey to go on it's very, a, very it's a very positive especially mm -hmm. for being a, like a post-evangelion mech it's a very positive show 
I think it's I think it's notable for being the first show to sort of like to synthesize the you know the the fun happy go lucky mecha shows from before Ava and then all of the like deconstruction mopey stuff after Ava including Pathos, Ava. Why are you fighting? What yeah. does what does victory look like in a world where you've destroyed it by fighting it with giant fighting over it with giant robots? Yeah, yeah, cramming that together and just making something that's you know refreshing for everybody. It was nice. Yeah. So that was kind of the auspices under which uh, Studio Trigger uh, came to be. And it was broadly thought of by people on their net that, like, this was all of Gainax's talent. And Gainax is, is, has definitely become less of a, of a force in the industry after all that exodus. Um, they made Medica Box and they made uh, C3Boo. But... I think it's quite hard to downplay how big a success going Lagan was yeah. uh, as well oh certainly it was just absolutely like just dominated anime for like i i know i i know you were more the, the con person but you probably saw so many like people dressing as various as you as and... as uh big titty yuko yeah yeah, so uh, I, was exp- <laughs> I was expecting more more Kaminas from the from the male ones. Some just some Kamina d- cosplayers, lot of Yuka cosplayers. Yeah, lots <laughs> lots of Yuka. It's very easy. You you build a giant sniper rifle, sniper rifle out of wood, and wear a scarf and a bikini. Done. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Have ten million guys take your picture, show up all over the internet, but but yeah, so like it basically it made Imeshi a household name. Um, and it definitely meant that when they moved, when he moved with several of the staff uh, to make his own studio, people were extremely excited. And the first thing that came out of it, it's actually interesting, the first couple years of Trigger, I've always thought that they kind of had to just like make easy stuff while they spun up production for Kill la Kill, which we'll get to in a bit. And the first of these like easy things they were making was uh, Inferno Cop, which, which is great. Yeah, I will hundred percent back Jeff on that. It's it's I get I I get extremely annoyed at the fact that um, certain anime database sites, namely anime database, <laughs> do not classify it as anime because it's there's not it's enough just, moving parts, Duncan. It's not anime. It's, it's just a slideshow. It's, it's like a motion it's comic. A, its aesthetic is uh, basically two D uh, cutouts doing outrageous things with. Uh, dumb special effects, like dumb practical effects, like the fire is real fire, and like yeah, it's like just like a, like a looping gif of fire behind. So like, yeah, Inferno Cop is this like a super cop who's also like, I guess, what's that Marvel superhero? He's with the... uh, quite. Go- He's basically a Ghost Rider. Yeah, a Ghost so. Rider with like like the flaming skull and the like overarching sense of justice. Yeah, and he just and goes around does... shooting people. There's a very pulp feel to it. Like, I think something which will come up again and again as we talk about Trigger, and which I mentioned very briefly with Pantheon Stocking, is they definitely have Western sensibilities. I think it's it's not an accident that some things have, which are huge in the Japanese anime market don't necessarily land with the same impact over here, but Trigger definitely feels like a studio which has broken out in the, the West more than others do. And I think um, Inferno Cops is an early example of that where you can see they they 
it is obviously riffing on the same uh, pulp stuff which things like Hellboy do or that things like No Guns Life are uh, this season. And also it has like big axe cop energy where everything is just totally <laughs> absurd and totally silly and seems like it could have been written by an eight-year-old. Yeah, there's a, there's a lack of shamelessness to it, definitely. Yeah. I was going to say, do you know if, if like axe cop is chronology precedes it or? Oh, certainly, right? I, I would assume when did, so. When did Axe Cop come out? <laughs> Axe Cop started in 2009. It was part okay, of like the yeah, big so... doc. It was a part of the big Doctor McNinja wave of like ironic cringe comedy comic action comics. Mm. I feel like. Yeah. When was Doctor Mc... When Doctor McNinja come out? Yeah, it's over. It's oh same. wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's of. I think there's an. Even if there's not a direct inspiration, I, I think there's definitely Iran. She feels like someone who would have an awareness of that and who would like take something from these irreverentness that these shows have for uh, their their form and just how playful they are with both like their the brashness of the animation and just the way they will just ignore what you're supposed to do with the plot and just shout yeah. dumb things at each other and and just expose just the sheer daftness of the conceit underneath yeah um, i mean that was also kind of like uh panty and garter belts or panty and stockings vibe as well it's just leading all the way into being silly and over the top yeah, yeah. I, I personally feel like um inferno cop was more successful than it but yeah, it was. Definitely, I mean, it, it was definitely helped by the fact that every episode was like two minutes long instead of like twelve minutes long. Yeah, which is also like the death of a lot of animated comedies. Yeah, I mean, that's gonna get into why. Like, I think Lulica is probably my favorite trigger. It's yeah. tied with like Gridman, maybe. I don't know, but <laughs> this is interesting because it is. Speaking of of Gridman, like Akira Amemiya is the director with a uh, Imishi supervising, and he basically. He directed uh, directed uh, the Ninja Slayer animation, but otherwise he's mostly just been a long time uh, key animation artist uh, around you, the industry. Did you watch so. Ninja Slayer, Jeff? I have not. No, I think I think Andy or no, I think Andy and John watched some. No, Andy some. did as well. Yeah, Andy watched and, three episodes of it, but yeah. <laughs> And it, I think it is very similar to. It's it's interesting that it gets included in any DB because it has some sequences which are conventional anime, and then it switches to, like, it's interesting that, uh, like, uh, it was a show where like a lot of the uh, backgrounds and stuff, like the um, the beats where the characters are interacting with each other, talking about the plot and setting the scene, happens in a conventional animated style. Admittedly, with some extremely uh, like photoshopped textures in, <laughs> like it, it plays with texture really interestingly. But the actual, uh, it's like gimmick was that all the actual fights were inferno cop style 2d cutouts doing backflips and it was kind of charming for that but it also had bad fan service even by a uh, studio trigger standards anyway so which is which is saying something as we'll get to probably in just a little bit 
Um, but yeah, so this is, I think one of the big, the big things we're going to come back to again and again with Studio Trigger is the outsized role of Imaishi in their successful works and his clear desire to be less involved in the anime making part of the business and how he can't really find a successor. It's actually kind of similar to, to the Hayao Miyazaki or uh, Hideki Anno issues of where it's usually supposed to be that someone's supposed to be brought up as as an apprentice for like a huge popular director and how hard it is because it's hell working in anime, even at the good <laughs> studios. So yeah. Um, but uh, Akira Amemia is probably one of the closer ones to that. So mm-hmm. uh, we had Inferno Cop, we have Turning Girls, Duncan's favorite was shortly afterwards. Like it's has like a really, amateur style to it it's like they they gave the writing of the episodes over to just a large amount of the crew is all women yeah yeah and all the writing to uh just women from the staff it they didn't even have to be on the animation staff they were just people working at the thing i think one of them was actually just a receptionist and and as you say, they let a lot of the crew themselves also be uh, just female members of uh, Trigger staff and just let them make a show about what they, whatever they wanted to and write it how they wanted to write it. And what they wrote about was a show about a, a group of friends who are all about to uh, just, as, as the title suggests, turn 30. Yeah. And their sort of ro- romantic uh, fatalism regarding that in event and it's just genuine like it's genuine in ways that i don't think any other trigger anime is yeah yeah and i i don't know like every every season i i think to myself i'll try and watch anime only with which is centered around characters who are adults not teenagers and every season i go fuck there's nothing (laughs) and like it's so rare to get like mid mid to late 20s or 30s he's protagonists especially if that's if if they were in 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 an anime that it's just so refreshing where it's it's done and it's it's done in these very bite-sized pieces which just have get across these punchlines really well and really succinctly right there's seven minute episodes that were originally released on on nico nico doga on youtube so yeah which is why they're hard to find now (laughs) yeah it's just a shame because it's i think it's like as you say one of the most genuine things trigger produce free of any of the artifice which characterizes a lot of the other stuff well if it makes you feel better i know that the uh, proprietor of the agua maniacs blog frequently goes to trigger panels and asks when they're going to make turning girls two, and they always laugh mm-hmm. and they're like oh no we shouldn't have even made turning girls one they definitely see it as like an act of desperation for a for a young studio trying to make its name and now they see it as amateurish which is too bad because it is amateurish but no more amateurish than inferno cop and they're not taken down oh, publicly available something, something else you raised earlier is they take part along with studio kara in the japan Animators Expo. Yeah, well, uh, they did in in, uh, 20, in 2015. Yeah, they, they they normally have one or two shorts from some of their staff in in there, and I think there's I think there's a couple of there's I think 
I'm not sure if it's Dean or Bones. There's, there's, yeah, there's a few studios who always have at least one one thing in there, and there's there's always at least one or two outstanding shorts in that. And it's strange that they feel happy to still still contribute to that and still produce these short works where they let their more experienced crew do little experimental things, but to actually give to let the sort of hierarchical structure of the company fall down and and let some women make a show about the things which concern them no that was a mistake (laughs) (laughs) yeah i it is what it is i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah uh But uh, so after Turning Girls, um, we get probably the first thing to make a really big splash, which was uh, Little Witch Academia, mm-hmm. which is uh, mm-hmm. an anime franchise created by Yoshinari Yo and produced by Trigger. Uh, it's it's the original short film, uh, which was uh, released in theaters as part of the Young Animators Training Project Anime Mirai 2013 in March 2nd, 2013, written by Yoshina- directed by Yoshinari and written by Masahiko Atsuka, who is the other founding member of Trigger, along with Imaishi. Um, blew the fuck up. I mean, it's what we had our first, our first episode on, right? Mm. I think, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth mentioning the way that the funding of, of the full-length version of that happened as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that... Uh, it's a shame Andy's not here because he actually backed the. It was it was a had a kick. It was one. It was the second. The second OVA had a Kickstarter. The first one was yeah. self was self funded. Yeah, the first one came out and they had the Kickstarter for the second. Which I I don't know if that was like them wanting to prove prove that there was desire uh, for more Little Witch Academia to people who then wanted to fund the uh, actual series which came even later but uh, well it's complicated i think that the that the that one of the stretch goals this is again me working off of memory so if i'm wrong i'm sorry but i believe that one of the stretch goals for the the second ova was to make a tv series and then That's an awfully ambitious stretch goal but then again they, i mean i mean to, one thing we should say about trigger is they is they actually use like new social media and their web presence a lot more than most studios. Most studios are very insular and don't really like to make announcements until they have stuff. And Trigger is is fairly... Whatever else you will say about Trigger, and I will say things about Trigger, believe you me, I will say things about Trigger, but they are very transparent. They communicate with their fans. They use crowdsourcing. They have a, they have a Patreon now, which is mm. weird. weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but cool, I guess. I don't know. Ask, I mean, ask if their... it leads to animators getting paid a better standard of life and not getting worked to the bone and it's hard to criticize it yeah are they transparent about that stuff um i what i hear from what i always hear in articles and from fans is yes they're they're very communicative and if you ask them a question they will answer it and because of how the world works a lot of those answers are i don't know or we'll see in the future but i do think that they try to like let you know what they're spending the money on what they're doing next which is why oftentimes you have trigger anime on Wikipedia almost two years before they're coming out because a fan asked a question. They answer like, Oh, we're doing pre-production for this anime. It's coming out in 2020. And mm-hmm. of course, fans being fans, they're like, Oh fuck, let's put it on the Wikipedia. And then people 
get hyped Frank's like and then get heartbroken Frank's like -like. (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah Little Witch Academia was their own thing and I mean you can go back I'm sure that I haven't changed my opinions in four years but um, I, I enjoy it I think it's cute I think it shows what's strong about Trigger and if you have a good eye for it it shows you what their weaknesses are and that these like these kind of bright attractive characters with like interesting unique performances having wacky adventures and doing fighting that involves a lot of character deformation yes but overarching plot not so much Mm. yeah just Thinking back to that Zero episode, I think a, a lot of what was talked about in terms of the animation was that it, they do have a willingness, which we see throughout their works, to uh, super deform their characters in ways that a lot of Japanese animation is a lot more restrained about. Yeah, I think and... there's been a, I think there's been a, a sort of like thought consensus of keeping like the sign of good animation is keeping everything like really on model, which to some extent, yes. Mm. But I think that Imaishi and, and trigger in general are really into like, just like kill a kill will be all over this, but just distorting things wildly off model as wacky things happen. Yeah. I, I do wonder how much of that is the fact that some of the biggest animations in Japan are things like, uh, Shin, uh, crayon, crayon, shit, crayon, shit, Crown Chin Chin. Chin. Yeah, which are just like these juggernauts, like they're equivalent to the Simpsons, which are a lot less polished in terms of animation than a lot of the stuff which gets exported and probably closer to some, a lot of what we look at Trigger uh, and go and go oh they're being very free with this animation in a way that we we're not used to like i suspect that happens a lot more in things which are low budgets per episode uh, but and are comedies that we just don't see and i i I think like that lack of reverence for staying on model is something which will exist as just a part of the trappings of co- the comedy genre maybe which like when i try and th- think of like older anime which have the same sort of irreverence and humor and just general happiness to do absurd things i think back to things like excel saga which is just a, a, a action comedy and I, I i do wonder occasionally about things like the way we look at Little Witch Academia and go, oh, wow, they're being really free with this animation, and is it just like it's a comedy, and so that's just what happens, and, yeah. and we're just and we're just going, wow, and they're going, yeah, yeah, it's just what we do, and yeah, I mean, and this it's 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 very fresh because I think that like a lot of people, Gynax Gynax was very f- famous for doing the whole like in some dramatic moment the the animation like strips out the color and it strips down to pencils and it's being kind of like hastily drawn and like this kind of literal on-screen deconstruction of animation was a very popular way to to heighten the emotional experience of certain anime um and i think that trigger just turned that into a science the number of times when i was rewatching a big chunk of kill the kill that like we we strip out final inks or we strip out shadows or we or we like 
really drop the tweening is really common. And this like the way of just kind of like almost a lo-fi aesthetic, a, a hi-fi lo-fi aesthetic is very much triggers stock and trade. And I think that um, because it's the first properly animated deserves to be on Anna DB Duncan anime. I think that little witch academia is where we first saw that. And a lot of people were very excited about that. I think we were very excited. You can, you can go back and listen, and I don't think we have much to criticize it about. Um, and now, having watched another OVA and then having watched a two-core anime, I could probably co- go back and be my depressed 2019 self all over the original <laughs> Little Witch Academia OVA. But at the time, it was very, it was very exciting and different. and It had a lot of goodwill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All it had behind it was was Gurren Lagann and the other that other anime looked like the Powerpuff Girls I didn't watch it so then mm. we move on to the big un October 4th 2013 Kill la Kill comes out where were y'all when Kill la Kill was airing I I think that was right I think that was my like my third era of anime <laughs> was right around Kill la Kill and what does that mean Jeff so I've I've you know in the fuck like 20 years that i've watched anime i've probably watched it in a you know maybe eight years in total where i'll like i'll watch it for a couple of years and then just drop off and then come back and drop off again and i think kill a kill was right around when i started like the third age well, um, i remember everybody on which the was, we were all on the idle thumbs forums and everybody was extreme like that was all that the anime <laughs> thread was talking about for uh, basically half think, the year yeah. I think yeah. I think I watched it in 2014 because like I don't and uh, and didn't come back to it. I think that that, that might have been part of why I went into it because like there was definitely like other places where I was where that was like like the joke slash wasn't a joke was that this is the show saving anime and I was kind of skeptical because I wasn't quite as brain poisoned at the time <laughs> like looking at it and going what's happening and then I saw a loop of the guy running down the stairs in the first episode as, and the guy's like, falling out Gam- and Gamagori's falling outside laughing oh that's, yeah. that's a Oh, it's so it's good. It's still my favorite part of that show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so anime often has to figure out how to convey that this guy is just so much more powerful than this other guy without having them fight. And having one guy like running away while the other has just like jumped out the window and it's just like free falling down the stair, the side of the stairwell. Oh, it's, it's good. Yeah, just yeah. laughing. <laughs> uh, and the use of laughter and like shown in battle anime is I think very is very tactical because Mm-hmm. I think I mean I don't want to dig too much into like samurai ethos, but this idea of like being joyful to face battle is definitely I think part of it. I don't think there's many villains who do anything but laugh as they're about to fight you in a shonen anime, but yeah. Gamagori especially. So this is a show about a girl who transfers to this weird city state school run by the student council, the classic trope. Of course. Um, where they use these super-powered uniforms to kind of enforce a extreme social hierarchy, and this girl who is wielding half of a of a like massive scissor blade just goes about fighting the entire school, and it turns out that the magical threads being used in the uniforms that enforce the hierarchy are actually aliens who reproduce by coding the entire world in their threads. And devouring it, and so they turn around and fight the the threads and the uh, student council president's mother, who has been kind of 
inhabited, infested by them. I'm sure I'm skipping. I'm sure I'm skipping important eighteen episodes. That's how long it takes to get to to this. Ben, eighteen episodes. Well, yeah, because it, it's originally just like a basic battler where she's fight, fighting her way up the school hierarchy, and there's like the oh, you can't be late day where. They can't oh, be late. Don't, don't, don't you, ba- don't you bad talk. I just uh, watched the late. episode and I will badmouth it all I want. Thank you very much. It's fine. It's fine. I don't know. It's not just fine. It's... You, oh, you like... and your Mako crush can is you are suspect, Duncan. I have, no. I have my finger on the band hammer right now. I just, my, my favorite thing from that is not Mako at all. It's, it's it, the mastermind behind the whole thing, who places a little doll of herself on top of the model of a school, and then which just rocks back and forth. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's very it's very frenetically and playfully told, as as implied. Uh, there is a character named Mako Mankenshoku who is kind of just like the idiot sidekick ratcheted up to 11 where she doesn't really apprehend fear or anything. And she's got these like long, as I said in the, th- in uh, before the episode, very, very TQ esque, like rants about like stuff where she dresses people down. And like, I still think kill a kill is good. I think it is, it is unspeakably porny by, by mm. my standards today. And I mean, even then, there's a part in the transformation sequence where, like, it zooms in on uh, Matoi Ryuko's vagina, and there's like a tightening sound, and like as it like snugly fits her vulva, and like that shit is not cool. And what the fuck, Imaishi? And there's a lot of that smeared throughout the anime in a way that makes me wonder if he's like, what's the thing we can make the most fan service of? And they're like, oh, what about like sentient? school uniforms and then you just hear a bong hit yeah that's good that's good i think we could we could definitely go into what i think the 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 thought process was when we talk about peace patrol luluco but i feel like a digression at this point yeah i mean i like kill a kill i i I said i rewatched half of it it's it's a great school battler that turns into like this weird resistance against the aliens thing there's too too much TNA and too much rape for me now to be like, yeah, great anime, go watch it. But yeah. uh, it's still on the outer edge of a problematic fave for me. I don't know what you, y'all can say. I, yeah, I would say like that was right around the time when a lot of the discourse was trying to figure out how to like not just be reflexively like mad at things that were hypersexual like this is around the same time as uh like bayonetta was sort of becoming a thing <laughs> yeah. and people like tr- people trying to figure out yeah people like trying to figure out what camp is and what it isn't and people arguing you know and, and basically it just came down to did you like it then it was camp did you not like it then it was exploitive <laughs> yeah and i, I don't like know if... ki- uh, yeah i was just get quickly interject uh, jeff that I, I feel like kill the kill existed in the very same moment that that there was a uh, a baby got backstory thread going on in uh, on and like you had one end of it you had bayonetta the other end you had uh uh uh, qu- quiet in Metacus, you know, solid, and somewhere in the the murky between that there was kill the kill. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, having insisting that there's a very good reason that this woman has to be naked and has to have her have her tits out all the time, but like, I feel like kill the kill was less 
embarrassing to me before I had more of a through line. Like, mm-hmm. like when it was just like, oh, Gurren Lagann, Panting Stocking, Kill a Kill. I was like, okay, Emmy, she likes TNA, but he makes like important anime. And then we continue to draw the line through the next like few few shows that he's involved. And you're like, oh no, he just does things. And then the TNA also comes with it too. Yeah, yeah, I think it really comes down to if you trust him to not be cynical, and then it's, it just comes down to his own personal interest and naivete of how maybe this isn't cool. And you know, and their their treatment of turning girls is probably a good indicator of which end that probably falls on. But I mean, to be fair, to be not not to misrepresent what Gynex is about turning girls, like a lot of the the people involved in turning girls don't want to do it again. It was fun. Okay, it was it fun, was. but it's not their job. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just having a show where like shamelessness and willingness to flaunt your body is a superpower, like mm-hmm. it could be feminist, <laughs> but it could also be exploitative, which is, again, the Bayonetta, the Bayonetta coefficient, as we've kind of implied there. It's it's yeah. it's very much on a on a on a razor's edge. And then like, I, oh, go ahead. It's so blatantly part of the 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 plot and aesthetic like if it was more if they tried to lampshade it 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 more subtly then maybe i'd feel like i trusted them less about their (laughs) intention but it's just so out there and front and center that it feels like maybe that maybe that buys it credit i shouldn't give it yeah Yeah, like it's definitely a choice like it's not just thoughtless fan service like the whole point of the show is talking about fan service and whether or not you agree with their conclusions or their enthusiasm is very much you know an open debate but yeah like it's, it's definitely not just like thoughtless and lazy yeah is it having its cake and eating it too or are there two cakes is kind of the <laughs> kind of the question there <laughs> Well, and it didn't. We didn't really get much of a clarification because after Kill a Kill, everyone's like, "Oh no, what are they going to do next?" Where they like Kill a Kill was one of the dominant shows of like fall and winter, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. What are they going to do next? And they did their first adapted work, which was when supernatural supernatural battles become commonplace, which none of us have watched. Wow, which none of us have watched more than three episodes. John has watched it, but John's on hiatus. So did uh, John finish it? Do you know John? said it was fine he's like he's like it i mean again i'm sorry john if you're listening i'm so sorry i wish you could be on but from what i remember it was just it was better than people thought it's it's playing very straight these like all these kids with supernatural powers there's not much like trigger winking i don't think it's an imayishi joint no it's uh it's a yeah it's directed by uh masiko otsuka the guy who uh, wrote Little Witch Academia, um, so it is. It is an, again an attempt to find a non Imaishi tentpole for the, and it's just. I mean, I hear it's it's fine. Like it's a it's a decent. If you're really hurting for high school kids battle anime, it's fine. I hear there's some mm-hmm. good parts about it. like there's like a, a a pretty deep psychological element that calls back a lot to that will call forward actually a lot to Kids Neighbor, but uh. I don't think I mean I think it was roundly considered unremarkable and I think that's fair. And then and then after that we get 
Molotorch? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, actually, it's it's a it's Ninja Slayer before it's again Ninja Slayer, which none of us watched. Well, I hear it's fine. I mean, I hear it's I heard it was fine. So as I say, it's just a little bit. It has. It's some not actually anime, movie. Duncan. So we yeah. can't. <laughs> just some, it's it's interesting if you want to just look at someone playing with uh, textures and doing some. It is the most garish anime I have ever seen. Wow, there. And you've watched, uh, like, the... Other Things by Trigger. No, I wouldn't say things about Trigger are necessarily garish. Like, they they know how to use their colour palettes. Ninja Slayer slaps on neon green just for the hell of it. Um, it's... I feel deliberately ugly. And in a way that very few anime are... And it's a shame in some ways that I didn't feel like I, I just it's relentless fan service in the end uh, drove me off before I could could finish it because it was just not quite enough good stuff in there to hold my interest. It's 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 okay and it's got a very different uh, aesthetic and a cracking. Uh, OP song um, <laughs> which is something which I think just before we go off Kill a Kill 2 to yeah much, Kill a like, Kill's music Kill a Kill's soundtrack is just an absolute banger it's just it's a, tremendous it's yeah and I think consistently touched on in several shows afterwards sometimes jokingly sometimes more or less unironically well when you got all, yeah, when you got all these bangers what can you do besides show them off again later Yep. The, the 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 guitar riff is just like just so iconic now that I I think other shows probably can can riff on it and fully expect their their audience to know where it's coming from. It's just that which is wild because mm-hmm. like the, the the music director like didn't do anything particularly notable before like he did he was the music director for for Attack on Titan and. Yeah, I'll know yeah. a zero, but weirdly not the second season. That's strange. Anyway, <laughs> like yeah, he's like he's like not a note like a, not a like big name music director. It's it's not like you have Yoko Kano on here, but still he like he's a struck gold. Yeah, like just letting him do like a big a big like orchestral pop hip hop soundtrack really works. And even if till your body is till your body is dry is not like it's got like. It's the rap, the like the big like chorus sequence is like what two minutes long, and then the rest of it's just like bad, bad Japanese <laughs> rap. It's still like yeah, it's it's still a remarkable thing, and so it's interesting that after Kill a Kill made such an impact on so many sensory fronts, we have supernatural battles, and then we have Ninja Slayer. These things that are kind of just like minor trigger in the most <laughs> in the most generous way of saying that. Uh, yeah. But then we get the second Little Witch Academia OVA. The, the Enchanted Parade. <laughs> the Enchanted Parade, which was, which was the same, basically the same plot with a few more yeah. characters as the first anime. And definitely hinted to me, at least, that they had less to say than they thought. I don't know. Does anyone mm. else have something nice to say about this? I'm not going to be the... the, the yeah, I'm not going to dump does, all over all trigger stuff. I think it's... 
it looks fine. It's it's a very pretty anime uh, once again, but it does feel like the the plot came from no came and went nowhere. It, it was just like okay, I guess we're just gonna tell a, uh, like an extended episode where they go off and have hijinks in the town. And yeah, and, that's and it. there's like a steampunk girl and and a girl that likes food. These are the characters we introduced, and a character named a character named Hannah England. So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I remember just kind of being deflated by by Little Witch Academia Enchanted Parade coming out. Um, but I, that, that was when I was still like really I was still mostly into the trigger saving anime, quote unquote, meme. And what came after that then? And after that, well, first after that is all the uh, before that actually was all the uh, the Japan Animator Expo ONAs like Sex and Violence with Mock Speed. Um, which I think is mostly notable for being referenced in Space Patrol Lulico, which we can move yeah, to right now. Obviously, like that—that's obviously riffing very clearly on the same animation style as Panty and Stock. Yeah, and mm-hmm. has a features a sex doll as a character. <laughs> yeah, because Name sex. Because why not? Yep. Why not? <laughs> so speak, fuck you. That's why. Speaking of why not, and speaking of fuck you, that's why Space Patrol Lulico, Space Patrol hey. Lulico, as yeah. Andy corrected me once way back when. Um, as I said, with Gridman, this is probably my favorite trigger anime, which is funny because it's a victory lap by Hiroyuki Imaishi about all the great anime he's made. And I have mm-hmm. a very mixed <laughs> mixed feeling about his professional legacy. But um, does someone else want to someone else want to summarize it besides I mean, me? You you talk. I was going to say, Ben talked earlier about how um, High School Girl had this uh, plot about uh, uh, unfulfilled first love, and uh, Luluko's subplot of uh, a girl's first crush on this vapid, handsome boy is actually kind of sweet and just nice in a way like, uh, <laughs> I'm damning with faint praise here but after Kill the Kill being so sordid in parts it was just nice to have something wholesome <laughs> yeah uh, um, and it's, it's it was, <laughs> Jeff says uh, no this is the first wow. time I've well I, I, I'm, not that it isn't wholesome it's just that the uh, it has a very strange Kind of, I think. It, I think it, it does a lot of work to sort of like explain Trigger as a studio. Like the main character is low key the like their sort of like personification character for the studio, Trigger Chan, and yeah. the whole series is them sort of going through all of these like different shows and different styles that they've done, and you know the sort of like the goofy action comedy. Like there's a a character who looks exactly like. Uh, Inferno Cop, and then later on in the show, Inferno Cop shows up, and he's like, "What? You think I look like that guy? That's weird. That's 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 obviously not a thing." And I'm only twenty one. Yeah, and the and the whole like like the whole subplot of Lulico falling in love with uh, the handsome boy Alpha Omega Nova, uh, the most blatant Quar XP ever made. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, you know, it turns out that, you know, he is, you know, 
he's he isn't so much a bad guy as he is just like a tool of the bad guys and then the bad guys are like these like black hole people and their whole deal is just like we want to like collect things that are dumb and banal and and suck and her whole thing is like well maybe things that are dumb and banal and suck are good actually and then you know if you if you do it with love and that's like sort of the whole message of the show and also kind of the whole message of the studio trigger which is <laughs> which i mean for me it it says that like a lot I, and I, I kind of believe them when they say it that like a lot of their problematic bullshit comes from a place of love like it isn't inherently <laughs> like, like an it, abuser it, 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 well it's not it's not it's not <laughs> cynical it's not just them like playing to the audience like and you know it's which like makes it kind of lean into the into the area of camp but like you know there's lots of discussion that you know just putting it out there in the world is itself harmful if the wrong people are taking the wrong things from it but it does it it doesn't make me think that they're just like doing raunchy shit because that's what sells no i mean i don't i don't believe that i do think that maybe they need to like spend more time looking in their mirrors than they do but but no and i think luluco is weirdly pure and like it's weirdly uncomplicated in a way that kind of reminds me of what you said about kill a kill where it's just like yeah we're just going to go to there's gonna, we're going to go to a bunch of plants and every plant's going to be a trigger anime we made and mm-hmm. we're just going to like have a bunch of inside jokes about that anime and then there's going to be like a little bit of plot um and at the same time like it's it's pretty funny <laughs> like, like, yeah. like i mean the whole like magical girl means they have like a complicated transforming body like metaphor for for puberty is funny but just like the awkward difficult involuntary way that luluko transforms into a gun whenever she has to arrest somebody with like the awake justin just gun morphing and yeah. like <laughs> she's like kind of uncomfortable as she like it's literally turned into like a massive handgun that shoots stuff and on the other hand just like they brought back Mayumi Shintani because apparently they got a delicious taste of her in Kill a Kill and wanted her back again. And this time she's Midori, a, a Gyaru green alien with an eyeball on her forehead who uh, mm. is just <laughs> kind of dumb yeah. and awful, but gets conscripted into the Space Force. Yeah, it's at the same time, like I can love it for being being like joyful and uncomplicated and definitely an extremely talented anime director taking a victory lap. And at the same time, he's, he's giving himself a rigorous hand job in the back of that, <laughs> in the back of that vehicle to an extent that I, that I like less and less and kind of just have to compartmentalize away from my enjoyment of the series. Mm-hmm. Because who else like looks back on literally five years of his career and it's just like, man, I've made some good anime. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Cause I, yeah, it's like, it's probably just, yeah, low key, you know about this one guy because he is you know the creative force behind it but it's also a, a, a victory lap for the studio itself so, except not yeah. like supernatural battles become commonplace or ninja slayer yeah so was ninja slayer an original work because like i think everything else they've done other than those two have been original hmm i couldn't say yeah, um, I think that the the only uh, adaptations they've done are Supernatural Battles, uh, Ninja Slayer, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, and there's no Turning Girls. I, I mean, I guess Gridman, Grid, Gridman, 
<laughs> Gridman. Uh, SSS Gridman is a, is an adaptation, but that's in the future. We'll be getting there soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But before then, airing simultaneously, which is which is a fucking power play, which I guess is consummate with airing a show that is literally just like, look at all the great stuff we've made. Uh, Kisniver premiered a uh, a week after Luluco and ended a day after Luluco. It was one less episode. Um, we've already mm-hmm. talked about Kisniver. Does anyone have yep. any like last minute changes about their opinions of the show? Not nope. so good. <laughs> Still not a big fan of Mario Kata. It was good. It went over the top in the end. But if we're talking about Trigger, it's all, it's all. yeah, yeah, that's why it's good. God damn it. <laughs> also, why it's bad, Jeff. Okay, moving on. We've talked this to death, but was I the only person who watched all of Little Witch Academia, the TV show? No, I watched it as well, and I think we we had discussions of how we were disappointed that I think in particular with where they went with uh, the the arc of her teacher and yeah. where, where it could have had some self reflection and it didn't. I mean, I just think that they and this is something that I think regularly shows up. I think Kill a Kill is the it's the rare exception. Um, they just struggle. Like it, it's just hard to make a, a two core anime, and I think the Little Witch Academia TV show shows that, like, you can't just have, like, four good stories that take place over five episodes each and then a, and then a climax and a finale. Like, you have to have more of a through line. And Little Witch Academia fucked around for half a year, and then, like, the the obviously bad teacher from the very beginning is like, oh, I'm a bad guy. You gotta stop me. And that was the end of the show. So, yeah, I feel like... what is What has Yoshinari Yo done since... Since then, nothing, huh? Nothing. What has he done? Nothing. I mean, he was he was a key animator on uh, parts one and three of Kizumonogatari, and he was a key animator on Darling and the Franks. Yeah. Shall we we get to that particular? Uh, yeah, I bridal. I guess so. Jeff, can oh. you summarize Darling and the Franks for us? Um. It's Evangelion, <laughs> and then it's about getting a trad wife in space. The end? It's it's like, I don't know, it's... I mean, if you really want to hear me, like, lose my mind over a six-month period, just <laughs> listen to, like, keyframes between January and July of last year. I haven't really changed my opinion of it at the end of that. Um, like, it's... It's... it's <laughs> This is what I wanted. This was what I was so excited about when you talked about this, is to have Jeff do a retrospective of his Frank's bullshit. It's, it's, I am drinking this like nectar. Like, <laughs> because, like, like I, 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 I don't, I don't regret it. Like, because if I let my childlike wonder for anime die, like, you'll turn to I'll me. I'll probably That's just stop good. watching yeah. it again. Yeah. <laughs> we already have one of you on the show. Yeah. We don't want that. But it, it was almost like it was engineered to drive me personally crazy because it seemed like it had so many good things that it could do and just refused to do. And, <laughs> and, but I, I still, I like, I still enjoyed the things that I enjoyed about it, which were almost entirely the like, like, like all of the side characters and the interactions. Like, it's all the same bullshit. That, you know, it's the same reason that I like Yuki Nagato chan so much. Like, I just like watching shows where people just fuck around. And <laughs> let me tell you, like, Jeff, there's this whole, whole 
genre called slice of life. You don't have to worry about like the giant robot or the like sleeping god but bullshit. I also like them. I but I also like that stuff <laughs> when it's good. And this show, it was very bad because like it was it was like it's one of the it's like more so than kill a kill like kill a kill is pernicious in a way that it's just like hypersexualizing like teenagers and like all the sex and violence of just being like oh it's just fun bullshit whereas darling in the franks is like like the actual message of the show was just really kind of uh it's it's, it's so just conservative and so backwards looking and so like heteronormative and essentialist that it was just depressing by the end and just made me mad yeah i mean it's almost worse that they tease like gay relationships and then they're like you know what now we're not we're not interested in in... it's worse than that yeah like like there's one explicitly gay character and her big like she who is like you know sort of a quasi villain in that she almost like fucks everything up and then makes everything right by just like you know, half killing herself in the big fight at the end and then devoting her life to letting all of the hetero people have kids and yeah. and just dying alone quietly. Yeah, it's, it's just what, like, it's just depressing. It's what it is, like Shinzo Abe, like anime to anime social engineering that you talk about a lot, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, this is like the... Uh, this, I mean, that's where I got this joke from. I saw people on Twitter talking about the invisible hand of Shinzo Abe trying to get nerds to fuck by making shows about how it's good to fuck and have kids and have families and that's basically what the show ended up being in the end with like a really really weird on the nose like marriage at the end between the two main characters who you know were like you know the faded pair that were you know childhood friends who had made us a, uh, a promise and you got all of our other favorite tropes and just turning into a giant, like super dimensional fortress wife, and going down. <laughs> I think I, like... I think I've hallucinated that. Like I, I, I cannot believe that she literally like transforms into a giant robot in a wedding dress, and then goes down yeah. like an aisle to save the world. Yeah. It, it does not seem real. It does not seem like someone's like that. Multiple people had to be like, "Yep, sure, this is a good way to end yep. our anime series." <laughs> I think one of the ways Frank's particularly disappointed certain parts of the anime community was that Kill the Kill had quite a lot of um, what I I, I don't like this word but queer queer baiting where you had characters who you had uh, a very strongly implied uh, love interest between two two women characters and Frank started out uh, immediately teasing this idea of okay maybe the gender roles are flipped here maybe he, he girls like girls and maybe boys can be submissive and then it just 360s he flipped back to normal and, and even just, and even worse than that they actually explicitly depict the characters who do not conform to normal gender roles as being bad and being like polluted and are only redeemed by being killed at the end. Yeah, they, they kill your kill your gays, people. Kill your gays. Yep. <sighs> Bury your gays. Yeah, it's was, it was just it's 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 like when you see an, a, a punk rocker and he's he's flogging something on daytime TV now, and it's just like <sighs> how are you fallen? Yeah, and then just not even like this was just like 
all that in just the space of a single anime. It's yeah. Just, and it, and, know, it, and um, at the same time, like, Kill a, uh, not Kill a Kill, uh, Darling in the Franks, like, dredges up, like, I mean, I, I think I talked a million times about how this, like, Zero Two was, like, this weird, like, mashup of Lum from Urusei Yatsura and Asuka from from Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's like, man, mm-hmm. just gonna, like, just gonna incept those nerds with, like, here, here are chocolate and peanut butter. They taste great together. Eat this sandwich and yep. have some babies. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Here's your scary I, anime girlfriend. I, th- I think... Yeah, I think that, that the worst thing about Franks was it made you doubt everything, every opinion you'd had of any trigger anime before. It made you go, maybe Kill the Kill wasn't so good? Yeah, I mean, any, any like, it made me doubt, like, whether any giant robot anime that I thought was profound was that good. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I, like, slapped myself in the classic, like, movie fashion, like, what are you talking about? No, of course not. Yeah. Um, Anno is infallible he even corrected uh he even corrected tomino <laughs> on sexism so <laughs> yep. um so next second to last i mean none of us have seen promare so we can't really speak on that well someone might have i don't know if he's here is he here andy 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 guys guys are you there ben duncan I can hear you, Andy. I can hear you. You're John. faint. You're faint. <laughs> Why can't we talk like normal people, Andy? I can't. I can't currently be at the phone right now because uh, I'm currently on my honeymoon. But I thought I'd just, uh, I'd just send you guys a little telegram um, because I knew you were doing that trigger show, and um, I, uh, <laughs> I saw Premier last Saturday, so Sunday. So I thought. You guys might be interested to know my feelings on the latest trigger joint. Right, it's, um, it's Imaishi's return too, also. It is, and if um, you want my personal opinion, he, he, should have, he shouldn't have returned. Ooh. It, it's... Right, okay, so... Um, uh, it's an anime that is, is spectacular. It's beautiful, like, it, the art direction's wonderful, like, it's very... Like, it's one of those shows where all the character is is like there on screen. You you see the character, you get who they are. Like the mad scientist, the insane like macho guy who's uh, who's you know the main character is like this macho guy with like stupid pompadour and he's really crazy, but he really is like he's all for justice. And you then got um, the like the slightly nerdy, slightly twee like blonde haired character who's evil but actually he's not that evil um and you you have all of these characters and they all look incredible and then the characterization of them ends there you essentially have a movie that is a a a two-hour fight scene from beginning to end and i think this is why it's bad is because when you you start the sh- the show starts off and it introduces them all in a really lovely way where like you know they all fucking come smashing out of a building and they've all got their stupid suits that helps them protect fires in the world and and the backstory is is that the world is consumed by like spontaneous combustion there's like an if people get angry or they feel like really strong emotions about something like stress or social media they just explode and then they um and then they sort of 
channel this explosion and just kills everybody so then there's like this one last bastion on the world that's ridden with volcanoes and explosions and uh, they all have like the insane sort of fire security where they have fire hydrants going up walls and there's this huge colossal building that um looks a bit ominous but not in any real distinct way like there's no religious symbolism behind it it's just a big building which i guess is ominous in a building with other big buildings but not as big as this one um so you know that that might come into play later it does um (laughs) and (laughs) and this is this is the problem it it sets the characters up and, and it does this one joke. This the, the one laugh that I got throughout the whole show was that there's this one joke where it would do like a splash screen with the name of the character and then like it would have that name get more and more ludicrous and it like the way that shows up is always quite entertaining and sometimes those names even like interact in the sh- in the way that they are still there when it's like shot from a different angle and that guy's still standing there in like a freeze pose with the name behind him that's kind of funny and that gets a few laughs but that's the only laughs i got throughout the mm. whole show that's also and what they did in uh in kill a kill too they were it physical is. yeah oh, well. y- yeah it, it, is, it is it does exactly the same and it was funny in kill the kill so it's I, I guess it's still funny now. Still funny, um, yeah. Uh, and it, but it, it really wears that joke thin, and like it starts. So yeah, so then, so then it introduces all the characters at the beginning, and introduces like in the first five minutes, like the basic concept of the world, and then it has this amazing like fight where he fights the ultimate evil guy, um, and then they capture it, and then there's more fighting and more fighting, and the problem I had with it is it was an action show that was relentless, unrelentless in its action, apart from about two scenes. And so when it's so unrelenting in its action, it gets boring. It's sort of like a white noise behind the rest of the show. And for me, that was unimaginably dull. I mean, we talk about Redline, but Redline, you know, Redline being that sort of like invasive, like uh, in one of the or in one of the tweens um, that maybe in the future uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've completely crossed the streams Andy shit um, they'll, they'll work out when I recorded this uh, <laughs> <laughs> like red light be completely like, we have talked about red light be completely uh, pervasive and sort of like really in your face with its music and blaring action but it has downtime it, it has the time to respect that you know if you're just full on action you're gonna get bored and and there's no stakes and this is the problem there is no stakes because there is no time for you to have a breather there's no time for you to sit down and watch it and be like okay so now we can get a minute to to sort of like reflect on these characters and it almost feels like he's scared to reflect on these characters because there is no character they do not develop in the slightest the evil guy the only slight, the only development is the development that you fucking expect, which is the ultimate evil guy is not actually the evil guy, but instead there's like an underground computer. Again, that's kind of funny that there's an underground computer that is never brought up and then dies and never brought up and never mentioned again, who actually knows all the things. And it's like, it's just so, so boring. Like, and I think mm. this is a problem with an actions thing is that it, it shouldn't bore me. And it, yet it bores me. And I know that I'm in the in the wrong, like everybody else who watched it said that they really enjoyed it, and it was just me and Mids who were like, I don't think that was very good. Like, and it's not even like you couldn't get involved with the characters because there was no characters there. And 
a lot of stuff online is very much about sort of like the homoerotic relationships behind, behind characters and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that you would think that. And I'm not saying that you're wrong, but you, there is no character. So you can literally cookie cutter these characters onto anything and it would be right. And you would have exact, you would be able to fill in that fan service. And I think that's the ultimate problem with it. Premiere is that it's boring and there's nothing there. It's, <laughs> It's, it's it's air. It's do you think do, do you think this is something where we've talked about this a few times in the past? Where this is a one core anime idea that they decide to make a movie for financial or vanity reasons, and they just took out all the the dead space in between the action <laughs> scenes, and then oh look, we have two hours of action now. Yeah, I mean that's that's entirely possible. It it wouldn't surprise me, but then. The the way that they the way that the the story itself does not is there's not enough in it for a whole core anime. Hmm. Like the story is literally there's people who spontaneously combust. It turns out it's because there's a uh, what is it? I mean, do you guys? You're not going to watch it. Don't watch it. Okay, so spoilers for the next like ninety seconds. <laughs> next, like yeah. so, it, it turns out that there's a wormhole in the center of the Earth connected to another galaxy. Uh, universe that is interspliced with the with earth and it because of that is causing all these explosions and the world to destruct and it's like that that is the that is the massive in air quotes plot twist that a doctor who got shot by the president of the city tells you because he's not actually there it's actually his brain that's a giant supercomputer that's underneath a giant frozen lake because that's the only way it could cool down his massive like servers and mm. yeah yeah it, and sound, the way it that... sounds like someone came with a key visual and then was like how can we work this into this anime so uh-huh. mm-hmm. andy have and... you ever seen um one of the amashi's first um films dead leaves i haven't seen that no because a lot of the what you're saying is bad about this reminds me of what I thought was bad about that. That it he does spectacular action and really frenetic scenes, but he really doesn't know how to pace it at times. And it, I think some of his stronger shows are those like Luluco, where it is just a really really short episode, so you get this hyperactive sugar rush hit of colour and action and then you, then you can walk away and get a little rest and then lovely bite-sized yeah. pieces of, of energy and action and, but when you're just it's like do you really want to eat that entire uh, <laughs> uh, bag of Skittles? Probably not That's, you're going to feel sick and a bit bit not good at if you do that but if you eat one you're like, ooh that's tasty yeah but, I, I also wonder if like Lulico while it is it has very frenetic action it is fundamentally a comedy mm-hmm. and the thing with comedy you have to tell a joke and then wait for people to laugh and if you just plow through that you can't you, like if you plow through that like your jokes feel less funny because you're not done processing them before the next joke comes on and I feel like that philosophy is not applied enough to action where you have to have a break after the action to realize what you've seen and to kind of decompress for the next action. Otherwise, yeah. you get this sort of nonsense fatigue where it's just like, who is this? What's going on? And it just it breaks down to shapes in your head where you're just like, mm. oh, human shape is moving up. Oh, OK. <laughs> uh, all right. 
I mean, you're exactly you're, you're exactly right, Ben. It is exactly that, and and it's but it, it's not like you don't understand it. You're following it because, it, but it it's your brain just doesn't connect to it anymore. It's, it, your brain's like, okay, fuck this. Until like I get some time off, I'm not going to process this. <laughs> exactly, and and then the, and then even like the animation goes downhill. Like the the CG is oh, really? really the CG is really at the end. Like when it's giant mech fighting, when it's like the whole city. Oh, fuck, I'm spoiling the shit. Whatever, else. whatever. When it's the whole city fighting like this one dude. Like the CG goes really bad, and there's sort of like trailing shots that you know zoom into a guy who's clearly CG, and then it cuts to him. And while I have said before, I don't mind CG, and I still don't mind CG. I still am happy with CG existing. It's a bit of a shame when you have it um, against in an action film and it's so glaringly obvious because like usually they don't like they will they will cg the mechs but they will stop they won't cg model the characters but this they even cg model the characters for uh, felt like no reason because the character was standing still uh and it was it was yeah so which is funny because like the anime news network uh review which tries really hard to paint a middle ground between fucking great mate and what we've been saying or what you've been saying, it does feel it's like this is the best 3D CG that's ever been on screen in anime. And that that's, does not sound like you felt the same. I feel that's inherently bullshit, but only because when I saw it, it was at the end of three films. And the first film that I saw, Children of, uh, Children of the Sea, I think it's called, mm-hmm. or Children of the Whales, it's not a great film. Um, it, it definitely loses its point at the end but it is a very beautiful film and there are some really gorgeous tracking shots where it's her running towards the camera and then it's it's following her as she's running down a hill and then doing a turn and you can tell that she is drawn in 2d and the world is in 3d and it's like it's tracking that animation but it's done so beautifully you don't even notice it's there and i so I disagree that the CG is better or is good. It's noticeably there. Whilst I've what I literally watched an example six hours earlier that I it wasn't noticeably there, and I'm like they either spent a fuck ton of budget on that one shot or it's CG. It's definitely CG. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, mm, no, I think I think it's I think that's a bit rich to say it's the best CG. It's serviceable CG for an anime. Uh, yeah. But it's serviceable CG for a anime that's a core, like a 12 core season. And this is like episode nine, you know? Yeah, I guess. I think a lot of people are very invested in, in Imaishi being like one of anime's great auteurs who, because of personal shit and financial shit, has never like really gotten his moment in the sun. But I think he I think he's had as many misses as hits. And I... I don't think that making a movie is the best place to show off his strengths because he's, his shows are already so action-packed um, that if he had even less time to, like, do characterization and plot, I don't see how that would be, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And it it's upsetting because I came in thinking this is going to be pretty something pretty special, and I walked away being really disappointed uh to say the least and mm. it it's I, I don't know it, it i i also feel that i am probably i'm probably in the wrong and we might we'll <laughs> probably get people complaining at us being like what the fuck do they even know but 
it's really it's really one note flatlined for me throughout the whole thing and it's a shame because i really like all the character designs like, i love the character designs of those characters they are really well designed all i've seen is the guy who looks exactly like kamina so <laughs> yeah and and there is and there's like the love interest who never doesn't become a love interest because you know there is no relation there's not enough time to build a relationship with these characters and my favorite the sort of like crazy mad scientist who has a like a mouse like uh ally and she you know she's she like presses the button and says Pachi! like that sort of stupid joke that i always really enjoy um but you know she's drawn like they're drawn she's drawn in like literally a bikini top and a red skirt red plaid skirt and like huge midriff all the women characters have huge midriffs and either no boobs or big boobs and well i say all the women there's three, no, four characters, and only two of them are reasonably dressed. The main character is very much not. It's, you know, it's just it's just disappointing. It's not good, and I would... And I'm upset that it, it's, uh, you know, it, it still... That it wasted my time. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think people will always go to bat for for like good action but there's there's so much good action out there in anime i don't know why hmm. why like just a completely brain like we, we we already have red line like we don't we don't need another just like oh non-stop action Wah. yeah and red line fucking gets it red yeah. line is some of like some of my favorite bits are just like are the down moments like when the the love interest is just sort of topless for some reason i guess why not um but she's just in her room and she's just sitting there eating a cherry watching the tv of like the other guy like being being interviewed and was just like so that's who i'm against is it like this is the best and it's just like little down moments like that his stupid fucking motorcycle as he can't see over the head but like yeah. the handlebars like those little bits really made it for me with Redline, and it gave the time to do that, but then also gave a beautiful action sequence at the very end, which is long. I'm pretty sure it's like the back half of that movie is just a complete race, which is like adrenaline-fueled and really exciting and really knows the stakes. And this, I don't care about the stakes. The world is at danger. I don't give a fuck because the world is already just a tiny fucking city by this point uh yeah hmm. so yeah uh, <laughs> anyway it's funny look, that uh, four kids submitted for uh for oscar consideration so they're feeling whoa. optimistic and, and i should also say that my the film festival that i went to they you know you have like a polling card um and it was number eight uh, on the top 10 like it got the most votes for that so I'm clearly in the wrong I'm clearly in the in the lesser part of the thing who gave it like a 3 and thought it was bad um, but who know, who could say <laughs> yeah so well, anyway right, no, look, no. thanks I've, I've Andy gotta, I've got to go uh, I've got to apply more suntan and I've got to go into the sea uh, I've got a scuba diving course in 10 minutes so uh, love love you I hope you have a wonderful time talking about other trigger animes <laughs> good uh, ones <laughs> well like, enjoy enjoy running to, running down the beach and saying umida Andy I've already shouted it like five times as soon as I got <laughs> off the plane when I got on the seaplane when I landed at the hotel I bet I bet Nids loves I, that so much <laughs> I know of where I woke up and I'm like honey umida and she's like oh, for fuck's sake Andy it's, it's day four I'm <laughs> like we're only here another week. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Bye. Cool. Bye. Great. Bye. <laughs> Love it. So, SSS Gridman, um, SSS Thighman, which, yeah. which is uh, a basically kind of a sort of reboot reimagining of Gridman the Hyper Agent, which is a Tsuburaya yeah. production, a, a tokusatsu. Yeah, what, if, what if Haruhi was evil and had a giant robot? <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's good. I like it. This yeah, is, I mean, it is. I, I do think that I, I get more like gut pleasure out of Luluco, but but Gridman, this idea of turning into this these giant robot that, you know, fights this person who's basically got this, you know, toy the city is her toy that she can do stuff with. And eventually kind of having these really cool romantic romantic and emotional connections. I I mean I love I love Gridman. It's one of yeah. my best anime of last year, easily, mm. easily. Mm. I, I'm I'm not so. I know. I know. Thank you. I I think uh, partly just because of the the kind of way I, Trigger has always been really strange for me in terms of its visual noise. Like I remember the first time I watched Kill the Kill, and I I saw um, the way they did. Uh, uh, the the eyes of of the central character and that they had like stitching around the eye, irises and for like ninety percent <laughs> of the anime I thought well I, I maybe that means something that her and uh, Nuri and uh, uh, her both have that that uh, maybe it's just bullshit and like for nineteen episodes yeah that's just bullshit and oh actually it isn't just bullshit and so I've just become like this incredibly paranoid about any visual noise in tr trigger anime and like does that mean something or am i just completely over uh reading it i mean i can i can hardly blame you because as we kind of alluded to the the issue with franks is the kind of like semiotic jamming where just there's tons of signifiers and no signified mm -hmm. so you're just like you're seeing all these symbols that could mean something and they don't mean anything they just they're just there because because Imaishi likes symbols um but he took the wrong message from the end of Evangelion. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I do. I just think that, like, in because I complained previously about how Little Witch Academia, the TV series, showed that Trigger kind of struggled to tell a coherent story. I mean, even Kill a Kill becomes a completely different anime for its last six episodes, uh, so to speak. But I think Gridman is good about just like. There's a setup in the beginning, there's a reveal to two thirds through, and there's a payoff at the end, and there's kind of mm -hmm. a cool, cool live action twist at the end. And I, I mean, I love media mixing, and that's something that Trigger has always carried carried uh, me through is these like live action or burning stuff or doing like scrawly hand drawings. I just, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's great. I don't think I'll like, you know, be using it as my red pill to get people into anime. I guess we can't use red pill anymore, can we? It's not going to be yeah. my. I can't think of. Gateway drug. I can't think of something <laughs> something to like get someone into something that's not problematic, like gateway drug or red pill. It's not my. Uh, um, it's not my golden ticket to get people into anime. We haven't ruined Charlie and Chocolate Factory yet. Have it's, not we? My, it's not my chick track. <laughs> yeah, I think once upon a time I might have, have thought Gurren Lagann was that because like it was. I think at the time it felt like so accessible and so just. As as we 
discussed when we earlier like so full of energy and so easy just to get swept along with and like it didn't have have the baggage but just looking back on it now i think a, a lot of like my problems with that particular series were just things endemic in the medium which i have slowly become he's sort of become aware in the the soup in which i am um sort of slowly being boiled um <laughs> yes and... join join me duncan there's no there's no matrix code they're just blonde blonde redhead blonde yeah yeah and i i i think it's hard 400 to... year old <laughs> 10 year old <laughs> Oh dear! Like my my problem with I think the good 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 man was twofold. Like, firstly, I think we never got like we got a sense of of trauma, and never and for I I felt like for a long time like that that trauma was was sort of projected as being external to the characters, and then. I felt like it it switched to being internal too quickly and abruptly for me. Like maybe that reveal just was one of those things. Like where if the gears don't click into to sync at that moment, then you're just not going to quite get the series. But for me, like that 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 sweat switch from the the threat being like a external one to being like something which is essentially an in- internal trauma is was one which never quite clicked into click for see me. i'm then, gonna be a terrible person because i'm just gonna say it's 12 episodes like like they they had to move fast i wish everything was yeah. too core but that's not the case since the since the early 2000s so yeah and 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 i actually would say that all i don't think trigger has ever made anything that was really great that was longer than 13 episodes so oh you don't think killer kills truly great i think i mean i enjoyed it at the time it didn't yeah uh, i can't i can't i can't i don't know if i've already said it hasn't changed my life on my today i know (laughs) but like it was fine and it was good it was enjoyable but like it was not like i i would say i enjoyed kisniver or luluco more than killer kill Mm. I don't think I've of all triggers animes. I don't think there's any one of them I've where I've wanted the next episode as much as I have when I was watching Kill the Kill. Yeah, no, I feel you there. Like as, for all for all its many flaws, as now in retrospect, I I think like at the time I I wanted the next one and I wanted to see more of what it it had to show. And I think it might also be just just the fact that like I I primarily binge shows. And so mm. anything longer than 12 episodes starts to feel like it's overstating, it's welcome. <laughs> Unless it's fucking rad, in which case you're like, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so we've already heard from Andy about Promare, Promare. Um, is anyone going to be interested <laughs> in watching Brand New Animal coming out in 2020? I mean, I'll probably watch I'm- it. I'll probably yeah. watch it. I feel like I, I, mean, I feel like it's become pretty clear that kill that uh, not kill a kill that uh, it's become pretty clear that Studio Trigger is not going to save anime. But I'll they've still like Gridman was great, especially after after Frank's was such a fucking pants shitting f- failure of an anime. Like and also the incredibly mediocre Little Witch Academia, yeah. all of which came out the same year. Yeah. Well, no, no, Little Witch Academia was the year before. Was it? Yeah, it was twenty seven. It was twenty seventeen. Same year. No, it was twenty seventeen versus. It's literally a year apart from Darling and the Franks, which granted oh, was okay. a co production with CloverWorks, which John would want us to say because he always got yeah. annoyed when people would call it a clip, a, a, a trigger only anime. 
but like oh you're right, you're right, you're but right, like right, yeah. i don't believe in them anymore any more than i believe in any anime studio except shaft uh but, <laughs> but uh even shaft i don't watch every every shaft anime that comes out and but i'm i mean brand new animal for me at least is going to be are they are they do they take the Frank's pill or they take the Gridman pill? Like, which are they going to go on smaller stories that are more people focused? Are they going to continue to try to make the next Evangelion? And I think that's important, an important question to ask. And I'm one I'm curious to see answered, even if it means I have to get stuck watching 24 episodes of another mediocre Frank's like, I don't know. What if it turns out to be Inferno Cop? I don't know. Hmm. I haven't seen Inferno Cop. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's key artwork does suggest it's going for a bit of a hard-boiled old... Oh, no. Is it going to be like... Oh, I don't know about that. You've got people sitting moodily on top of skyscrapers. That looks pretty. uh, It's very bright. Yeah, it's got that bisexual lighting. I don't know why... Is is anthropomorphic (laughs) characters, animal characters, a thing now? Do I have to, like, deal with that now? I mean, they've always been here. Yeah, everyone's a furry now. Yeah, everybody's everybody's already likes anime, so the next big like cultural leap for the nerds is going to be everyone's a furry. <sighs> I didn't watch Beastars specifically because I didn't care about about the Zootopia shit, and now it's apparently like everywhere. Great. Oh well, we'll see what Yoshinario comes up with. Any closing comments? Do you like love or hate Trigger? Burn them or keep them? <laughs> Fuck, Mary, kill. <laughs> All of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> that seems to be what what Trigger would do. I mean, I would not be surprised if they had a, char- a character named Mary Fuck Kill. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess it is in their in their idiom. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we don't have any emails to read, except that we do hear you, and there is a Utna tween coming relatively soon. So tune in to hear us flounder helplessly about one of the most uh, symbolically and semiotically dense anime in existence. Um, I'll do fine. These two rubes, not so much. Uh. <laughs> Tune in to have Jeff melt yeah. down again about another anime. <laughs> yeah, I'm not stuck on this show with you guys. You're stuck on this show with me. <laughs> we've, we've just gone over three hours on Trigger, and now we're doing Uta. Una's, Una's good though. Like, Una's good though. Don't don't worry. It'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah, but like I, I, I do want to be able to leave my room at some point. And it's like <laughs> it's okay. We'll skip. We'll skip all the filler episodes except for the one where Nanami's chased by elephants because she's looking for curry. Seems legit. Okay. Uh, so pending that, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email, email us questions or praise at keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And most of all, tell a friend that we spent 45 minutes talking about the melancholy of Ruhi Suzumiya over 10 years after it aired. Yeah. Say goodbye, That's everybody. The best time. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. Jesus Christ, guys. What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did we really talk for four? There's no way we talk for 45 minutes. How? Oh. That, that's. It just flew right by. Hopefully, that's. <laughs> hopefully, that's the same for the listener.